It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, our news roundtable. And we've got a great roundtable for you. From left to right, Alex Lindsay from OfficeHours.Global. And, of course, Mac Break Weekly. From the register, we've got Ian Thompson. And my buddy, science fiction author, speaker extraordinaire, Corey Doctorow, who actually coined the word of the year. We'll talk about that. Also about Apple, the Vision Pro, their decision to charge 27% for stores that aren't using Apple's store on the iPhone, and a whole lot more. It's going to be a great tweet coming up next. This show is brought to you by Cisco Meraki. Without a cloud-managed network, businesses inevitably fall behind. Experience the ease and efficiency of Meraki's single platform to elevate the place where your employees and customers come together. Cisco Meraki maximizes uptime and minimizes loss to digitally transform your organization. Meraki's intuitive interface, increased connectivity, and multi-site management keep your organization operating seamlessly and securely wherever your team is. Let Cisco Meraki's 24-7 available support help your organization's remote, on-site, and hybrid teams always do their best work. Visit meraki.cisco.com slash twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 963, recorded Sunday, January 21st, 2024. Low-key clippy. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Stamps.com. A new year is full of surprises. One thing that's predictable, postage costs will increase again in 2024. Stamps.com has been helping businesses like yours save time and money for over 25 years. And they've been a partner of this show for more than a decade. If you haven't tried them yet, what are you waiting for? We use stamps.com for everything. And I love it that I can print forever stamps from stamps.com so I don't have to worry about postal hikes. Yes, print them on my, with my computer on my printer. Get your own personal post office wherever you are. Order shipping and mailing supplies and more from their supply store. Stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping options. All you need is a computer and printer. Take care of orders on the go with their mobile app and schedule a package pickup through your dashboard. Stamps.com seamlessly connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell products online. And, and man, the discounts for both United States Postal Service and UPS are up to 89%. So with Stamps.com, you don't have to be this guy. See this? Postage due, $3.21. Join Stamps.com. He puts it on the USB scale. Prints out. He even printed out the, the, the postage, but he did it wrong. Not with Stamps.com. You'll always pay exactly what you need to pay, and in many cases, a lot less than you think. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with the promo code TWIT. You'll get a special offer that includes the four-week trial, the free postage, that digital scale. You don't want to be this guy. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code TWIT. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. A great show ahead, I know, because this is a great panel. Alex Lindsay is joining us, slumming from MacBreak Weekly. Hello, Alex. It's good to be here. Uh, it's good to see you. Also with us, the wonderful Ian Thompson from theregister.com. Hello, Ian. 
Hello there. Welcome. Always. I'm waiting for the day when those bookshelves snap in the middle of a show. <laughs> I just they they seem overburdened slightly. Well, we got a I got a comment on the last twist I did with you where someone you've never read all those books. It's like seriously, there's like four more of these things. I know you've read the them. Corner. Yeah, he's a literate man. And then we go to the bookshelves of one Mr. Corey Doctorow, who's written half the books on the shelf. They seem to be creating a life of their own. In fact, you, it looks like cordyceps is emerging now from the bookshelves. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely. Uh, well, there's a reason my domain is craphound.com. Let's just leave it. <laughs> Actually, the bezel is about to come out in audiobook. You've got a Kickstarter for that, yeah? Yeah. So uh, um, Will Wheaton read the audio. Nice. Uh, and as with all my other audiobooks, Amazon refuses to carry it. So though the book is coming from Macmillan and, and Bloomsbury in the UK, uh, I had to make my own audio. And so there I am kickstarting it. You can uh, you can get the DRM free audio, uh, the DRM free ebook. You can pre-order the hardcovers. You can get signed hardcovers. And there's one uh, opportunity left to uh, name a character in oh. the next one of these books, which nice. comes out next year. This is one of the Martin Hench books, uh, the sequel to Red Team Blues. He is determined to make a forensic accountant the next James Bond. And I, for I, one, for support this. Damn right. I mean, look, there there are so many ways to make money disappear into a spreadsheet. And uh, every time I come across a bit of spreadsheet skullduggery, I'm so delighted. Like, um, <laughs> The academic fraud where they caught the scholar, the highest paid um, academic at, I believe, MIT. No, it was Harvard uh, fudging her data. And they and she'd saved it out not as a CSV, but as an XLSX, which embeds all the document history. So I can actually watch her by rolling the document backwards. They can watch her clicking in the cells and changing the numbers. And they're attributed to her and her licensed copy. I, I mean... It's this is the golden age of fraud, but it's like the golden age of fraud forensics. Don't and, tell uh, people too much, though, Corey. We want them to continue making those dumb mistakes. Uh, you know what? I am convinced after 20 years of going to InfoSec conferences that you can explain with eye-watering detail all the ways that people can screw up and they will continue to screw up. Absolutely. I love it when they redact stuff in uh, on PDFs. Oh, and <laughs> Oh, that was an absolute goldmine for journalists. I mean, we were just I, like, yeah, more of that, please. I love it when Sam Bakeman fried and his friends have a group chat called Wire Fraud. Oh, I mean, yeah. oh. Well, it was a uh, it was uh, ironic wire fraud. Yeah, it was ironic. Yeah, like like yeah. when Jeff Bezos called that program uh, to uh, oh. extract large uh, discounts from small publishers, Project Gazelle, and exhorted his managers to view themselves as cheetahs hunting <laughs> down and killing the most sickly and weak gazelles in the pack. Oh my God, that's <laughs> amazing! Honor, this wasn't an anti-competitive no. act. Gazelles, you know, they're <laughs> beautiful, gazelles. graceful animals. If it would have been better if you'd name it Sick and Dying Gazelle. Then then we'd know. Right. Uh, we are here joined together, gathered together today in the first week of the ascendancy of the Vision Pro headset, the new future. Soon we will all be wearing computers on our foreheads. Alex, <laughs> did you buy one? I'm, I'm doing the neck exercises. I got two weeks to get ready. I hear it's really heavy. So that's the big thing that I've heard. And so I've talked to some friends that have gotten tested and, and uh, they just say, well, it's heavy. So I'm, yeah, I have ordered one. Um, so they just, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing some, you know, just, just, I've got some weights. I got that little head thing and I've been like trying to work on my neck a little bit so that it doesn't feel as heavy, but uh, yeah, I've, I've got one coming. It's we'll extremely important that you prepare. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, it's funny. All the YouTubers, uh, including Marquez Brownlee saying, 
Oh man, this thing turns out to be. It's not actually more heavy than the the Oculus uh, Pro, I don't think. But they, the the way they're uh, offloading the weight with a strap apparently is not. Well, I think that the, the issue is is that nobody has been given. Uh, no one has been given one with an, a strap over the top. Now right. it is coming. It's supposed to ship with the strap right. over the top, and I think that they just didn't want pictures of it. I think Apple like didn't want anyone taking uh. pictures with the strap over the top, and so they didn't send it to any of the reviewers. So now all the reviewers, this is <laughs> now all the reviewers complain about how heavy it is. Once the strap's over the top, it's probably going to be it's probably uh, right. pretty well distributed, yeah. just fine. Yeah. I've been if, reading if some of the reviews. Okay. I mean, Apple is notoriously harsh on journalists that don't give them an absolutely, you know perfect record but even then people are just like well the battery pack's a bit of a pain the weight it's okay after but after 30 minutes your neck gets tired it doesn't seem like they've really a, done anything it's a fine art you know, of knowing uh, exactly and by the way i only reason this is because i have gone too far but it's a fine art of knowing how how far you can go to show your editorial independence without actually pissing apple off to the point where they stop letting you have these things or see them early and so forth. I, d- I don't think that's what editorial independence means. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I, when I first came it's over It's the here, appearance. It's Caesar's wife's editorial. You have to appear right. to be editorial independent. Well, no, I mean, when I first came over here, I got invited to a couple of Apple events. And the first one I was very positive about, I think it was an iPod launch. And the second one, it was just kind of like, no, okay, this is bad and this is bad. That's it. Blacklisted forever after. I feel like I am pretty bullish on Apple stuff. But in any case, uh, I've been calling this one Tim Cook's folly. There is some data already that this this might have some headwinds. Three of the big developers, the app developers, three of whom who have complained about Apple's 30% VIG in the App Store, have declined to make apps for the Vision Pro. Netflix, Spotify, and uh, YouTube will all be missing on the shipping Vision Pro. They, One of them said, well, you can still use the browser. Like, that's a good experience. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, but it's that- widely thought, Mark Gurman thinks, it's it's kind of retaliation. Well, the, the issue, though, is that I think that for, for Apple, because Apple makes music and because Apple makes has the, their own video, uh, Netflix and Spotify not jumping into the headset. Number one, it doesn't affect them at all because the, the sales are so low. It's not it's like a, it's noise. It's an them. easy thing to do. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, it doesn't make as much difference for them. Um, but the uh, YouTube might be a bit missed as far as being able to watch those things. But again, as they said, you can watch it through the browser. Um, but the the other thing is, is that no Google, you, no Facebook. It's not really, it's, it doesn't really move the needle. I mean, uh, Facebook's not going to do it because they have their own headset. They don't want to. They never famously made an iPad app either. So it does. Yeah. So, so I think that that's, but I think that the, um, uh, where it's a real boom is for small developers because if you're a developer right now, you know, 80,000 sales, you know, most likely the rumors are high 80 to 100,000 sales already. Um, at, at that number, uh, that's a really small number for Netflix. Like almost not like I can't see that number. They can't see <laughs> that number of people um, in their, in their, in their spreadsheet. But if I was able to put out something that's really cool for $5 and I can sell 10,000 of them or 20,000 of them into a market of people who already spent $4,000 on their headset and are willing to look at anything cool, it's a really good opportunity for small developers to get in and do things and play in a place where the larger developers may go, well, I'm going to wait until there's two or three million or five million. Sure, and Alex. this is where this is where this this market opens. But if up. you're selling a I mean, three thousand five hundred dollar device, <laughs> the, the chief thing seems to be you can watch movies in it, and there's no Netflix and there's no YouTube. Um, I think that does some damage. Corey, are you uh, are you bullish on uh, nerd helmets? So I am so astigmatic that I can't even converge that stuff. 
Uh, I live with a technology executive for a major movie studio who happens to be married to me. Uh, and uh, she is also a former champion video game player. She played Quake uh, for England. Uh, and so we have all Respect. the headsets. Yeah, seriously. And so, yeah, so she's in charge of like zombie defense and VR uh, in our house. And uh, for me, I just try to avoid them because I get just blinding headaches from from using it. I assume that's because my eyes are looking at it wrong. Right. Uh, in, in Steve you're, Jobs. You're looking language. at it wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, they are doing like corrective lenses for, for the headsets, but they cost an extra 200 quid. And when I when I went through the order it. process, they also said something. You can you you upload your prescription, but they said, "Do you have what was it uh, Delta in your prescription?" Uh, yeah, Prism, Prism. I think it's for a, a, a astigmatism. I think. So yeah. Um, so, so people like Corey, and I'm slightly astigmatic. Um, I also don't really have full stereo vision. Anyway, I went through the process, and right at the point where I had a pressure button that said thirty thousand, thirty five hundred dollars, I said, "Yeah, no." Yeah, so, no, no, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm only 3500 Mine was well, four. And I was oh, like, yeah, and if you order, oh, yeah, you can get more, more storage. I got the one terabyte. I got the... 149 bucks for know. the prescription lenses. $200 yeah. for the plastic case, uh, the travel case. Um, I didn't get that. Yeah. There's a reason Apple makes $2 billion a year. I feel like this is like predatory those, almost. <laughs> yeah. And remember, and this is the other thing, that the timing is not great because Apple... Uh, as you remember, may remember uh, last week in the Supreme Court just declined to weigh in on Apple's uh, appeal on the Epic decision. So Apple does have to open, um, it's not open their app store, but allow apps to... Third-party payments. Ha um, yeah. ...have a click in there and says, oh, you want to buy a Kindle book? Oh, so right now, if you open the Kindle app and want to buy a book, Amazon says oh, you can't buy it here, and that's all they're allowed to say. Mm. Or they, or they, they can take the money in a thirty percent hit, but the gross margin on that right. book is twenty percent, and so they don't so want to do that. Money on it. So well, they can't give you a link. But wait, that's more. Wait, I'm not done. So yeah. Apple's now forced to provide you, uh, provide Amazon and everybody else with the opportunity to click the button, go to their store. But Apple says, oh, and by the way, uh, we know we're watching. And you better pay us twenty seven percent commission on that mm -hmm. transaction. And Google and Google's doing the same thing, right? Okay, but yeah. I, I can oh, understand. Yeah. No, no, no. The duopoly. This is the hilarious thing about the idea that we have mobile competition is that generally in competitive markets, it, the firms involved don't all offer exactly the same thing. This is like Henry Ford saying you can have it in any color so long as it's black, and then Edsel coming along and saying you can also have it in any color with us so long as it's black. You see, the market is working. Yeah. Uh, the mali the malicious compliance from Apple here really reminds me of the the kind of stories I used to hear from my great aunt Lisa, who bossed an engineering shop in the Soviet Union. And all of her reports were uh, surly drunks and they would find the most imaginative ways to just like technically do what she ordered them to do without actually doing it. Apple's also thrown an interrupter in there so that when you click on it, you get the screen that says like, warning, fraud ahead. You might lose all your money. Don't click on this. But if you must click on it, but we absolve, you know, we wash our hands. Uh, Jamie Zawinski had a really good blog post where he went through the history of these starting with, um, uh, NCSA Mosaic having a, an interrupter that said, uh, you are visiting an outside website which may contain pornography. Uh, <sighs> so don't tell me with a good time, but no, I mean, the, um, but it's, the, it's the same story with the Apple repair business. It's just like Apple was finally forced 
by public opinion to say, okay, you can repair your kit. Now, in order to do it, you've got to get these briefcases worth of kit. You've got to buy all the parts at a very high price. I mean, they are masters of this kind then, of shenanigans. So they, they reformed that a little, and they, they replaced it with something called parts pairing, which they tried oh. periodically before. Really, it came out of the automotive industry where it's called VIN locking. And this is where you have a, a, a little tiny cheap chip in each component, and it does a cryptographic handshake with the main CPU. Uh, and until the, uh, it gets an unlock code, the CPU won't talk to it. And so, um, you know, this is done with car engines and subcomponents and engines. It's, it's done with tractors, uh, from John Deere. Medtronic does it with their ventilators and Apple just went, uh, at, like basically the same week they announced that they were now supporting right to repair, rolled out, uh, a whole ton of new parts pairing, which caused, um, iFixit to rescind their, uh, rating on the, uh, latest iPhone. Now Google uh, did uh, go to Oregon and say, we support yeah. the right to repair. And, and we, we are against part pairing. pairing. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, look, I, that is where competition actually is working. Like, I don't think Google is made up of people who are nicer than Apple, right? I just think that, like, they, they looked at the incredibly good press Apple got when they climbed down from their right to repair stance. And then the incredibly bad press they got when it turned out that they were scamming. And they went, why don't we just do the first part and not the second part <laughs> and mm -hmm. see if we yeah. can't get some good press? Well, good luck, Google. It's not like they make. I mean, they make the they make the pixels. The pixel. Uh, yeah, Apple has I a lot the more Nexus, to lose. Yeah. Here, uh, by the way, thanks to JWZ, Jamie Zawinski. Here are some of those uh, interrupters. This is on the left, where it's the, the the current Apple one. You're about to go to an external website. Apple is not responsible for the privacy or security of purchases made on this web. And there's even more pros under this. He's got also MySpace's warning. <laughs> and he's got <laughs> this one is from mosaic i think ncsa's mosaic yeah. right beware yeah. despite our best is it was this for any link in a browser despite I our don't, i think it must have been when you were clicking off of the mosaic website oh, i mean it's hard God. to know what the context is D yeah some... i just love that jamie's got a hard drive full of this crap he too. saved it oh yeah in fact he has previously <laughs> and i don't even know if they need and to previously... i mean the reality is the reality is 99% of the people are not, not going to leave it because if, if you have an iPhone and you have an Apple TV, you know better than to, to start buying apps that, that require you to go outside to pay for them because the Apple TV is a disaster. I mean, it is a dumpster fire because I get in there and now I got to, now I got to type in this code and now I have to go over and I have to register with this activate. It's a disaster, you know? And so the thing is, is that as a user, my argument against all, all the reason I'm never going to go to something else. And if someone puts their app on, on outside thing or has me pay for it, I'm gonna be like, I don't need that. You know, like I don't, I don't need to have that app in my life because I don't want to go over there because I don't want to, it's, I don't care about the percentage. I don't care about it charging me 30% more. Mm. I just don't want to deal with the time. To me, time is valuable. And Apple for a, mo a lot of Apple users, time is more valuable than money, you know? And so the thing is, is that it is a, you know, we just don't want to deal with it. And I think that the Apple TV is a perfect example of what happens when you start to fragment, you know, fragment the, the buying experience. I just want to go up and buy the app, pay for it there. And most importantly, I want to be able to kill the subscription anytime I want to for whatever money we're saving as users for it to be on the outside. You save a lot more. Like when I buy an app, I sign up for a subscription. I wait a day and then I cancel the subscription and then, so, it and then it warns me and it dies if I don't if I don't move, if I don't use it again. And I can't do that with anything else. And so as a user, I just I, I just don't think that I think I get 
why we're doing this, but I don't think it serves the user of the owner of the phone, I mm-hmm. think is getting a, a worse experience. So um, I have from, to respectfully disagree. So first of all, the way to get firms to stop ripping you off with subscriptions is for the Federal Trade Commission to do what it's just done, which is click to cancel orders. Yes. And then if they don't if they don't let you cancel with the same ease that you signed up, the Federal Trade Commission comes in and fines them thousands of times more than they're making from it. It's it's allowing firms I just don't know where it is. Like like I have to go now I have to dig through all well, my stuff. You know, right. The, the but that's thing, also yeah. a violation of the click to cancel order. Well, it has but, to but, be as easy. But when you and the cable companies, it, by the way, have responded to click to cancel, telling the oh, FTC they, some of those arguments this week have just been Absolutely if, if, if we make it that easy to cancel, <laughs> our customers People might cancel by accident. Right. <laughs> and and you know, I have watched I've watched all forms of sideloading on the in the mobile duopoly get much harder over the years, which is weird, right? So I loved the iPod. I was at that same uh, iPod announcement that you were at, Ian. Mm-hmm. And uh um I uh I went out and bought one, you know, the the day I could. And uh, I remember I just plugged it into my computer and everything synced over. And then whenever I had any new music on my computer, I double click it. It would show up in iTunes. The next time I plug my iPod in, it would just work. As someone who sells media on the web that is sold outside of Apple's stores because uh, Apple refuses to sell audio that isn't locked to its platform forever with DRM and won't give authors the chance to uh to unlock it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've watched my users, like really sophisticated technical users, struggle with trying to uh, move media from the web to their phones. Now, I don't believe that this is because it got harder as an intrinsic technical matter to sideload media. I think it's because the mobile duopoly gets 30 cents every time you spend a dollar in their store and loses that 30 cents every time you spend that dollar on the web. And since they control that ecosystem, they've made it a lot harder. So by contrast, for example, I just set up a Chromecast. And again, I'm not a Google fanboy. I have written some of the most vitriolic uh, prose about, about Google that has been published, I think. But I just set up a Chromecast and there were a bunch of streaming services we needed to set up for it. And I was like, oh my God, Am I going to have to type my uh, passwords into this? And it was like, just aim a, aim a phone at a QR code and click a button and the thing just recognized it. And so it, as a technical matter, I think interconnecting devices from heterogeneous vendors that want their customers to be able to access a service is possible. And I think that when we see uh, burdensome connectivity that our first uh, suspicion should not be that this is intrinsically difficult, but rather that either someone's not good at their job or that an artificial barrier has been erected. And where there is a profit margin, right, where there's a very significant profit margin, remember that the, the payment processing cartel makes 3 to 5% on every payment. And that's considered a monopolistic price gouge. It's gone up 40% since the start of the pandemic. Apple, Google, are charging 30%, right? That's a thousand percent more than the monopoly rate. And when you see that the firms that control this, the, the most valuable companies in the history of the planet are unable to somehow resolve the, an easy matter whereby you pay for something in one place and it shows up somewhere else. When they used to do that as a routine matter, then I, I think that like either their heart's not in it or they're, they're pulling against it. I, I, I don't mean to sound like a conspiratorialist, but I, I We're refuse to believe that this it. is it's a, it's a revenue thing. It's, it's, a, re- yeah. it's, it's a revenue no, channel yeah. that they built. Like, like it's kind of like I built this train and everyone's like, I'd like to get on the train and not have to pay for it. You know, like they're, they're, the, the reason mm. that it's there. Yeah, it's, 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 more, like, it's more like, it's more like. 
you sold all these people Nikes and I'd like to sell them shoelaces. And they're like, no, it, once you buy the Nike shoes, you got to wear the Nike shoelaces. You got to wear the Nike socks. And uh, we'd really strongly prefer if you only wore the Nike trousers. I think Occam's razor suggests that this really is, you know, monopolistic behavior. There's really, I mean, there's a lot of smart people at Google and Apple. They know that this stuff is 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 a pain in the backside to use, and they're they're perfectly happy with that. What about the argument revenue. though that thirty percent seems to be the standard? Vig, it, it is they Microsoft the and the export though. and the Xbox. Well, no, before uh, no, no, Apple was doing it, uh, well, uh, Sony consoles. was doing it on the PlayStation. Microsoft is doing it on mm. the Xbox. Consoles um, have been thirty percent since forever. Like right. it is, you know, like that has been the number, and that's where they took it. That's where the number came from, not from Apple. Oh, okay. Google. That doesn't no, mean it's not consoles. any competitive. I should point out. Well, just it's, if we, it, but we should probably take that one down first. <laughs> like, like, let's, oh, and, and, I, well, you we, know, can, like, we can walk and chew gum. We can do both. Yeah, but uh, you'll, you'll never. The problem is, is that they 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 build the platform, they they support the platform, they develop the platform. They you know, like as someone who has sold a lot of software over for the last twenty five years, and I'm about to sell another one into the App Store um, in the next uh, you know six months or vision, so on the Vision Pro um, or no 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 it's it's just this little this little program here you draw on things okay um, anyway <laughs> so um, so the uh, the as I look at it, I used to sell, so I used to sell a keen software for Final Cut and we used to put it up looking at the where sites. We were pretty sure that the number that we sold versus the number that were being used was about 50 to one. <laughs> like, you know, so, so that was, you know, and, and trying to, as a small, as a small developer, trying to go after those folks was just going to be impossible. You know, like it was just going to be like, I'm not going to go down that path. And, and it was just a really, um, for me, when I look at the idea that there's a platform that solves the install, that solves the security, that solves the updates, that solves all those other things as a developer, knowing that I'll never make more than a million dollars. We have to remember that Nobody's 98% that that of the developers exist. No, I'm just saying, saying there should be a complaint. choice. There should be a choice. I, but, if you want to do it is, that way, you should do it that way. But let's, but let's, let's look at the numbers. The number of developers being affected by 30%, we keep on throwing around 30%. Yeah, but look, at, look at the 60, Macintosh platform. By the way, there are a lot of developers of very concerned that Apple is about to do this on the Mac platform. I don't think they are. I hope they're not. No, they're not going to do that. But this exact scenario that you describe exists on the Mac, where you can, have a th as an independent developer, put your site up, have an app on your site, sell it directly. Apple does not take a percentage. Well, that's what I'm saying. You have a choice. Or you could do it in the app store. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I'm not stupid. Okay, you'd you know, say like dumb, but there are a lot of companies that a lot of companies no, no. that are dumb enough that to do, do that. And they but, keep but, 100% of the revenue. And if they yeah. want to the do Berlin, that, they should have the choice. Before the Berlin Wall came down, they used to insist that the wall was there to stop people from West Germany sneaking in. And when ah. Apple says that the only reason we don't permit people to choose another like to sideload is because we don't think our developers or customers want that. Like Apple wouldn't have have spent like tens of millions of dollars and its best PR efforts fighting sideloading if this was a thing that everyone genuinely preferred or if they genuinely believed that this was a thing everyone generally they wouldn't genuinely have to. Yeah. Well, no, but as to. To argue argue that case just for one second is that what I'm as a, again as a pretty hardened Apple user, <laughs> you know, like I, I have a couple PCs over here and a couple Unix machines over here, but generally I'm a Mac Mac environment and Apple TV is my only interface and I've, I've had, had every iPhone that was released and I have Apple Watches and all the other things. Right. Um, what I'm concerned about as a user is 
companies taking away my choice. So saying Netflix saying, I'm only going to let you have it if I if you sideload it, like I'm no longer going to make it available to you. So as a user, I get a lower I get a, I get forced into a sideload that I don't want to do. It works fine on the Mac, I, though. I, get, I don't understand why it wouldn't work because, on iOS. Why is it different? Because because right now the iOS is, is very secure and very closed down and I can manage all the payments and I can do all the things that I want to do. I don't want to sideload and I don't want to be forced to sideload. And for the Mac, on the Mac, I buy apps that are generally high-end apps that are, you know, $300 or more that are that I'll buy aside. If you have a little app under $100, there it's is zero chance yeah. that I'm going to buy it. <laughs> like, but, but, so, but you have the so choice. The, so the, That's the point so the, is you can have no, but, an app store but, but, and I, but you can if, have an open ecosystem at the it, same time. It is, but it, but it, what, what people will be, what app, what right now the user doesn't have to make that choice. Right now the user is they in a little make that garden. <laughs> no, I, okay. If you think that more that more than one percent of Apple they users do on the Mac all the time, <laughs> like, you know, like and if they care. were to do this, you even said the if they were to do this on care. the Mac, it would be the end of the Mac platform. They don't care. Like they don't care. Apple users don't care about this. And the thing is, is as soon as they, I mean, really, like real people, like not us in in the geeky world or whatever, but real people barely even know this exists, let alone care about it. Well, you we might care about it. We're in the tech. They don't care. They don't even know it's here, you know. And the thing is, is that what they will know is when Netflix suddenly requires them to go into a side load or Facebook requires them because Facebook wants to build its own store or Epic, then they're going to be upset. And then it's too late. <laughs> you know, Like it's already out the, out the door. And then you're going to have, you know, people, you know, people are going to be upset after it happens, not before it happens. They're, they're, right now they don't know. And they're going to be and people will. And Facebook is going to do that. You know, they're not going to want to keep on developing. If they're allowed to go on the other side, they're going to want to put everything over there because they want to they want to manage their own marketplace. The problem is that Apple, uh, uh, it works well when it's making good choices on your behalf. But because when it makes a bad choice on your behalf, you can't overrule that choice. It fails very badly. So thinking here of something like the OG app, which was an app that used WebKit to get you to log into Instagram, grab the token, and then gave you an Instagram feed where they removed all of the ads, uh, all of the surveillance. So no telemetry was sent to Meta uh, and only showed you things and all the suggestions and only showed you things from uh, people who uh, you had subscribed to which was wildly popular and which Apple took out of the app store setting section 522 of their developer agreement saying that you may not have an app that violates anyone else's terms of service, right? So the terms of service, if you ever read the terms of service on any app you've ever used or any service you've ever used, it basically says abandon hope all ye who enter here. <laughs> so what you have is Apple showing up and putting its thumb on the scales for allowing Facebook to spy on you. Now, when Apple was stopping Facebook from spying on you by giving you a one-click opt-out, which, by the way, violated Facebook's terms of service, and very rightfully, Apple told Facebook to pound sand, that was great, and that worked well. But because Apple is not disciplined by the fear of users figuring out how to install a third-party um, uh, app store, they uh, are also willing to run roughshod over what you do. Those self-help measures are a powerful force of discipline on tech firms, right? In a world in which, say, ad blockers could be installed, every time someone in a product development meeting says, hey, let's make the ads 25% more obnoxious and we'll get 2% more revenue per user, someone else might say, but look, 25% of our users are going to type, how do I install an ad blocker when you put that in? And our expected revenue from those users falls to zero forever. Now, half the web has installed a an ad blocker. 
zero app users have installed an ad blocker because installing an ad blocker and an app requires decompiling the app, which is a felony under Section 1201 of the DMCA. So you can think of an app as just a web page that pays a 30% commission wrapped in enough IP that it's a felony to put an ad blocker in it. And the fact that when um, devs try to actually intercede on behalf of users to block the negative conduct of some of the most harmful companies in the world, Apple helps those companies, right? It tells you that um, Apple itself cannot be the sole arbiter of what's in our interest. They can be an arbiter of what's in our interest. But if we don't get to override their choices, then they will not use that authority wisely. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I mean, you, you mentioned this at DEF CON in your speech where it's basically an app is basically access to a web page with a bunch of IP thrown in there to make sure that you don't do anything that you're, you you isn't wanted at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's a tremendously dangerous situation. I mean, we're supposed to be individual users of these devices. And yes, it might be a slight pain to sideload stuff, but it's certainly a right that must be protected. I love Brent Simmons' uh, take on this. He's a longtime Apple developer. Uh, I think he was the one who came up with a pull to refresh. He did NetNewsWire in his blog in Essential.com. Corporations are not to be loved. I need to remember now and again that Apple is a corporation. Corporations aren't people. They can't love you back. You wouldn't love GE or Exxon or Comcast, and you shouldn't love Apple. It doesn't care about you personally in the least tiny bit. And if you were in their way somehow, and I have to think Brent might have some personal experience here, they would do whatever their might, effectively infinite compared to your own, enables them to deal with you. Um. Apple has, he says, luckily Apple has just provided us all with a reminder. Just like the sixth finger in an AI rendered hand, Apple's policies for distributing apps in the U.S. that provide an external purchase link are startlingly, starting, startlingly, startlingly graceless and jarring, but not surprising. Reminder, Apple is not a real person and not worthy of your love. It's hard for, I think, and I'll include myself in the cult of Mac, uh, those of us. And you were early on a cult of Mac uh, member Corey, I know you've you've moved. I have an Apple tattoo. Yeah, you do really. My only tattoo. I have a sad Mac with a hexadecimal error code. Oh, that's great. <laughs> where yes. is that, by the way? Inner thigh on my uh, on my right bicep, where okay. it's turned into a kind of smudge because I got it like twenty eight pixels square. You know, I dumped <laughs> the ROMs on an SE. And oh then laser printed it and brought it to a tattoo artist. And he was like, this is going to smudge. And I'm like, no, I'll be careful. And now it's just. a. <laughs> but that's a beautiful story. So at the time, yeah. you cl- clearly were a fan. I, I, I think that um, as is as with my relationship with uh, Disney theme parks, it is quite possible to love the sin and hate the sinner that uh, you don't have to excuse all of the bad things that someone does or a firm does just because they've made things that you enjoy and that make your life better. It's, you know, you can give them some grace, but you don't have to be blind to their bad actions. And I think that so much of the kind of uh, painful stuff that we get into when someone or some firm that has done something that we like disappoints us arises out of this weird idea that all ethical conduct sits in this balance scale. And if all the bad things that someone's done are worse than all the good things that someone's done. All the good things are wiped away. And if all the good things are better than all the bad things that someone's done, then all the bad things uh, are um, irrelevant. And instead, we can just have those exist in superposition. We can say when Apple has its customers' backs, right, when Apple is kicking Facebook spying out of iOS, when Apple is fighting the FBI on surveillance and encrypted messaging, 
um, Apple is doing good and and Apple's uh, conduct and the products that arise from that conduct are good. And then when Apple is removing all working privacy tools from the store uh, tools from the Chinese app store, or when Apple secretly turns on its own ad based surveillance on iOS platform after kicking Facebook out, then Apple is bad and doing bad. And we don't have to say Apple is a bad company for having done bad, nor do we have to say Apple is a good company for having done good. What we have to say is what are the forces that discipline Apple so that on balance its conduct is good? And what are the policies that create a regime in which when Apple does bad, we are not forced to take those bad decisions on, but rather can uh, make another choice, which is why things like sideloading and third-party app stores are good, not because necessarily anyone that you know will use them, but because the possibility that someone will use them might discipline Apple into conducting itself better in the operation of its own app store. And should Apple's hubris outweigh its its self-defense or its self, self-preservation instinct, then you'll have a remedy, right? You can go somewhere else. If it ever gets bad enough, you can go somewhere else. Yeah, we, uh, this, this, this debate, I, I, hold on, we're going to stop now. This debate will continue, though, on MacBreak Weekly. It is a, an ah, on, a good quote it, coming up. It is, still, okay. it is an ongoing conversation that we have uh, on MacBreak Weekly. Uh, and Alex's position is, is I think, uh, well-known and well-executed. Well ex, well it's nice to have Corey. I, I, I just want to say, say one, say. 10 seconds. Sure. Yeah. It's not that I think Apple does everything right. I hate the Apple TV at this point, like the the iOS or the TVOS. I, I complain about it all the time. It's not that I that I that I uh, that I think Apple does better. I just measure it against everything else, including the United States government, and choose Apple over almost all of those other things because their business model selfishly is user centric, um, as far as not not developer centric. And not government centric, but user centric, <laughs> and and that's their business model. I don't claim that they're good. I just only I'm only saying that their business model is to keep folks like us happy. You know, and, and yeah, that part, that and, offer that offer does not apply in China. You know, I mean, it's kind of yeah, I, mean, I see those Apple is right privacy. Stuff, I mean, you know, like, like as long as you talk about the Middle Kingdom, talk about not getting to choose. Like, there's a lot of things I don't like about California, but I've chosen to live here. You know, like yeah. you know, and and I and and there's a ton of things that I think are crappy about this state, but I'm here. I'm here and I, I don't, I'm like, and this is where I live, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. We're, so, so the humans so you are such, to, you a, always have to take it, take it all those pieces together as a whole. Humans are such a tribal uh, species um, and it's how we kind of organized our lives and survived and succeeded so long. It's hard not to be tribal. And one of the, one of the attributes of tribalism is my side is right and your side is wrong always and forever. And uh, tribalism doesn't really solve this problem at all. And uh, while I do not have an Apple tattoo, I do have a Twit tattoo. So, and it hasn't smudged. <laughs> well, hasn't smudged really? Yet. Why do you have that? Uh, it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it this way: It was New Year's Eve. I came home the next morning with my head shaved and a tattoo on my ass. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. That that's. A I thought you were going to say that most of the time it says Twit, but at very special moments it says uh, Twitter. The company came after Twit the network. <laughs> we had all. We used to have to. Uh, we used to have to have a paragraph because we'd call people, say I'm from Twit, and they say you mean Twitter, and we had a whole paragraph where we say no, Twit predates Twitter. It's, it's a network uh, podcast network, not a. Anyway, fortunately, I don't have to do that anymore. Because uh, Twitter is the company formerly known uh, as Twitter. But as long as we're in the, I want to take a break. We need to take a break. But I do, as long as we're in the annals of companies behaving badly, you saw that Verizon has agreed 
to settle a class action lawsuit of a hundred million dollars. That is the craziest one ever. I read that. I was like, what are they doing? Like they're they're a, they are agreeing to make a payment, but they're not agreeing to stop the behavior. And if you look at what they're willing to pay people, they're actually making a profit. I'm talking about when we're talking yeah. about thirty percent. They're this making is, sixty. This 60% is a so-called telco profit. recovery fee, which uh, the class action lawsuit asserted is nothing but just more profit for uh, Verizon. Verizon admitted no wrongdoing, this. but did settle for a hundred million dollars, and then said, "Oh, and by the way, we're going to continue to charge the fee." But, but this, this is the so, problem when it comes to regulation in this country, and this is something that the, the reg has been pioneering. When a fine or settlement like this is announced, you don't just say it's a hundred million; you say this is what zero point two percent of their net profit for the last year. This is a cost of business. You know, cost for them. This isn't a fine. This isn't a, a deterrence in any they, way. It's they also the cost agreed, of doing business. They also agreed to amend their Verizon, my Verizon wireless customer agreement to include this explanation of the charges, which range, by the way, it's a few bucks per bill, but it's on every month, and it, mm -hmm. it doesn't do anything except give them money in their pocket. In addition to the cost of your plan, Verizon rights or any features to which you may subscribe, our charges may also include an administrative and telco recovery charge. The administrative and telco recovery charge isn't a tax. It isn't required by law. It's not necessarily related to anything the government does and is kept by us in whole or in part. <laughs> and the funny yeah, thing this, is, is that... But nobody will ever read that. And the, they, the settlement and they just pays not... you one dollar a one dollar a month for right. all the months that you had it, right. but you're paying three dollars a month. Right. You they don't could, get they your could, money they back. Could do the settlement every nope. five years. The, the the lawyers will take, uh, you know, forty billion, forty million. The lawyers get forty million. Verizon makes a profit, and uh, you get a little bit of a rebate back. But that's it... that's exactly what this is. This is this is watch this happen in five years from now. It's yep. like a forty. It's like an eight million dollar a year deal for this law firm to just say we're just going to keep settling every five years. Yeah. We'll take some money. We'll send some back to everybody, and yeah. we'll get a little bit of press, and we'll move on. It's Verizon great. pays there's, a third the, back. The, there's a phrase from the law and political economy movement here, which is that a fine is a price. Um, and, you know, this this is the issue with um, uh, rather than prohibiting conduct, finding people for the conduct. And it's also the problem with uh, with certain kinds of consent based regimes or noti notification based regimes. Right. By by uh, as I said before, we were talking about um, Apple's uh, developer TOS Section 522. And, and, you know, you may not violate anyone else's TOS. That the fact that the TOS says, you know, by being dumb enough to use our product, you agree that we're allowed to come to your house and punch your grandmother and wear your underwear and make long distance calls and eat all the food in your fridge doesn't actually like should not constitute consent. And, you know, the, the outer periphery of what you can consent to without being able to negotiate should be much more tightly constrained, right? The, the, the idea that we should have a higher threshold for what in contract law is called unconscionability, a clause that can't be enforced because it shocks the conscience, should be much higher in these um, uh, contracts of adhesion, uh, click-through contracts where you don't get a say, 
Otherwise, you just have you just have this thing where you say, "Okay, well, you're not allowed to do this. And uh, they say, great. Well, from now on, we'll just tell people we're doing it. And either it gets buried in the fine print or you see it in the fine print and you're like, but I still need the thing. Right. Back back to the point. Alex well, they're clever. They keep it just uh, low enough so that you well, go, well, the- it's a couple of bucks a month. What is the?" And, you know, and, you, and really the question is, once you get it, if it became a regulation rather than a settlement, which is why, probably why they're keeping it as a settlement, yeah. uh, is one, once you do a regulation, you keep on doing it, then that becomes, uh, that starts to, you know, small, lots of small, uh, lots of small crimes that add up to a big crime is RICO. You know, like, you know, and that's, you know. <laughs> I want to channel, I want to channel Ken White here and say, it's probably not RICO. <laughs> I know, but. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, let's take a break. Oh. Got a great panel. Lots to discuss. Uh, I love it when a panel uh, does not necessarily see eye to eye. And that's, I think we got uh, three smart people who, who argue the case well. Corey Doctorow is here. His new book, The Bezel, is on Kickstarter. If you want to support the audio edition with uh, the wonderful Will Wheaton. Um, I, lo- I loved the first uh, uh, Martin Hench book. I can't wait to read The Bezel. This is great. Oh, thank you, this Leo. This is great, yeah. And, you know, I'll be fair. You say Amazon won't sell it, but let's be fair. The reason Amazon won't sell it is because you won't put DRM on it. So Yeah, sure, right. But, but you know, that that's like saying um, yeah, Amazon also won't sell books that, uh, for a while anyway, they wouldn't sell books that had links to sites other than Amazon in them. And, <laughs> right. you know, the answer might be, well, you could just write a book that didn't have those requirements and, and Amazon would sell it. Sure. OK, if if I allowed Amazon to lock every book that I sold to Amazon's platform forever, you know, Section 12.1 of the DMCA provides for a $500,000 fine and a five year prison sentence for removing DRM, yeah. which means that if I, as the author of the book and the person who financed the audiobook were to provide you, the person who bought the book from Audible with a tool so you can move it out of Audible's app and play it in another app. Not only would that be punishable by a stiffer penalty than you just pirating the book from some torrent site, it's it's a much higher penalty than you'd pay if you shoplifted the book on a CD from like a truck stop. And it's even probably harsher than the penalty you would pay if you stuck up the truck that delivered the CD with a gun <laughs> and stole it. Right? And and the fact that Amazon says, well, all you have to do is consent to this term where it's act- you we get to send you to prison for five years if you help your listeners listen to a book that you made with someone so. else's app. Yeah. It, it, you know, yeah, sure. Amazon will sell my books if I agree to that. I won't agree to that, but Check I think you. that uh, you know, that that's a that's a reasonable thing to not agree to. I mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> Kickstarter, search for the bezel. You'll find it pretty quickly. What is a bezel? So a bezel's John Kenneth Galbraith's uh term for the magic interval after the con artist has your money, but before you know it's a con, when both of you feel like you're better off. We both won. <laughs> Yay. It's like the net increase of happiness in the world is up. So think about, you know, how everybody felt about NFTs before the NFTs crashed, right? That was mm-hmm. the bezel, right? How everyone feels about uh, you know, the metaverse before the metaverse crashes, how everyone feels about um you know, all the AI exuberance before, you know, 98% of the AI companies pull the plug on their very expensive to run servers and all the integration you've done with with AI tools goes away. So what you're uh, saying overnight. is if you're happy right now, you're probably in the bezel. 
Uh, no, but I, I think that, so this, you're getting into, uh, into in shitification here. Yes. And we uh, will, I, Ooh, I, Ooh, that's your next word. book. And we will definitely yeah, talk about that. That is my that. next book. I yeah. just sent off the proposal. So, so excited. You, yeah. You know, I don't think it's inevitable that companies abuse their customers. Like I was saying about Apple, I, I, I've been the beneficiary of many instances in which Apple did the right thing for their customers. Uh, and I'm more interested in how we discipline Apple and other companies, by making it so that the cost that they bear for failing to have their customers back is higher than the expected return. And mm-hmm. so that when they fail to take that uh, calculus seriously, we can go somewhere else than I am with like trying to, you know, create a moral hierarchy of which trillion dollar companies are good trillion dollar companies and which trillion dollar companies are bad trillion dollar companies. That's important. That's really an important, I think, contextualization. That there's good and there's bad. That doesn't doesn't let anybody off the hook. You're not weighing your soul against the weight of a feather. It is more That's complicated. Right. Uh, I have that. a I have a short story in the the final Dangerous Visions anthology that Harlan Ellison's uh, literary executor Joe Straczynski is putting out about Harlan Ellison in Purgatory uh, <laughs> because Harlan did some wonderful things. He was a perfect things. example, isn't he? Yeah. And, and it's called the weight of a heart, the weight of a feather. Um, so there's going to be the third Dangerous Visions uh, compilation. Joe Straczynski has bought the book, and it's coming from Blackwell. And that's one of the great lost pieces of science Blackstone. fiction. Because I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I did Ellison's uh, obituary actually in a bar in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And it did include the subhead Napoleon Complex or Short Asshole, but at the same time, <laughs> he was a a fantastic writer. I'm so glad yeah. this is coming back, and I'm and also a wonderful friend. Oh, really? Right? You, if you, you knew was, Harlan Ellison. He, ah. But he wasn't my friend. Oh, he okay. was the friend of many of my friends, but t- he was gratuitously rotten to me. He was also my teacher, and he was quite bad as a teacher. Oh. Uh, but he was. I watched him do a thing that he was infamous for, which is to choose a goat and choose an angel in the class. I was neither of them, for the record. And shower one with uh, praise and, and uh, reduce the other to tears, just seemingly to show that he could do it. But there, there are the stories of the way that he was a generous, kind, and thoughtful friend to other people are not made up, mm-hmm. and they are not canceled out by the stories of the ways in which he harmed other people. They are in, just, as I say, in superposition. Yeah. And you know the the idea that we can wipe the books clean of all the good Harlan did because of all the terrible things he did is no more valid than the idea that we should ignore all the terrible things he did because he was so good and kind so yeah. many times. They just have to both be. We're not very good as humans in uh, living in paradox, but as it, the more I learn about life, the more I realize well, that's what we live in. And uh, we want oh, yeah. it to be black and white, and it isn't. It is not black and white ever in any case. Never uh, is going to be. <laughs> and that's the wonderful Ian Thompson from The Register. Always a pleasure to have you. We've got Always three, fun to be on. Three, I want to say intellectuals on. We've got smart people on. Alex Lindsay from officehours.global, 090 Media, and of course, MacBreak Weekly. Our show today brought to you by Mint Mobile. Uh, we like to highlight companies that are doing things in a better way, that you know are you know perhaps tending towards the good side. Because we want you to know about it so you can enjoy them and live a better life. Mint Mobile ditched retail stores and their overhead costs and instead sells their phone plans online, passes these savings on to you. And I tell everybody about it because it's a remarkable deal. You are definitely overpaying for your mobile service if you're not using Mint Mobile. Now, for a limited time, they're passing on even better savings. 
with a new customer offer that cuts all Mint Mobile plans, all of them, to $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Every Mint Mobile plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text and data on the nation's largest 5G network, T-Mobile. And the data, $15 a month for the whole kit and caboodle. I think this is an amazing deal. You can bring your own phone. It's very easy to port the number over. Mint Mobile will send you the SIM for free, unlike other companies. They don't charge you for that. Or use eSIM for instantaneous activation. It, or you can buy a phone from them. In fact, I have some. I bought a beautiful iPhone SE for them for 15 bucks a month. 15 bucks a month for the phone, 15 bucks a month for the service. You're still about a third what you're paying for the other guys. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer, you have to be a new customer. And your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash twit. This is a great way to see if Mint Mobile works for you. Mintmobile.com slash twit. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash twit. I've moved so many people, family members, in fact, over to Mint Mobile. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Mintmobile.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support. You put this video up, uh, Alex Lindsay, from the World Economic Forum, which just concluded in Davos. The uh, the new president of Argentina, Javier, Javier Millet, his special address. Now, the things he said were a little unpleasant, so I'm not talking about what he said. Let me play the normal video of this. This is from uh, the, the translator, simultaneous translation as he's speaking. But this concept, which in the developed world became fashionable in recent times. So you can hear in the background, you can hear his Spanish and you can hear uh, an English accented, British accented uh, translator uh, translating it. My country has been a constant in political discourse in real time. Years. The problem is so really is just a kind of getting all the words out there. But you demonstrated you show us something which is very interesting. This is a YouTube video with the English speech rendered by heygen.ai just tell me what's happening here alex so so what's happening here is this is a deep fake that is taking his spanish converting it to english and then also reforming his mouth now this is all again this is all it looks very similar i mean it's it's a deep so there, fake there's, there's the, the same, original and here's video the, yeah yeah the the interesting thing is so we've been doing this has been finding its way into visual effects for a while so we have to like someone swears and we have to make the tv version someone does this whatever and so inserting these things into it has been something that our companies have been doing for the last couple of years um it's not it's not it's not um completely unknown but it's 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 not brand new either but the fact but i had not seen it in this environment and i will admit this is an environment that i live in so i know a lot about it i've done hundreds of events with um, six to 15 languages. Um, we have, we have this stuff going out and, um, and it's, there is such a loss of energy and we talk about it all the time, a loss of energy for the speaker that, um, uh, that happens when you have a translation and when they have to speak in their own language, they, a lot of them will attempt to speak in English because it gives them a greater impact around yeah, the world see, to speak Volker in English, but then it's broken. Zelensky doing that, but it's broken English but and it loses impact you know, for that. I mean, I, right. you know, we have a school in Rwanda and so our, our students stream most of the government events and so on and so forth there. And uh, so uh, um, President Kagame 
is in a completely different person in Rwanda than he is in English. You know? Yeah, so, that makes sense. And so, yeah. and so the, and so the, uh, and what, what he says, I would be a completely different else. person as well, right? In, yeah, in and, his life. and so because you're, because we're trying to find the other language and say the words in, in the best way we can. In this case, you're allowing that person, and again, I think I people will be scared about this, but I think this is a great thing for the people who are actually saying it, assuming that it's accurate. We have to remember that almost all translation is not accurate. And we're still arguing over what so the Bible says. So this is the said, the AI is also um, doing so the, the translation as well so the as AI the is doing the translation. This is to my knowledge. This is my knowledge yeah. of it, and, and this is the process. It would, it's probably not in real time. It is. I'm going to take changing from one language to another is something large language models do really well, probably better than human beings most mm-hmm. of the time. Um, then the the second piece is is building a, a voice model, and um, they, these guys are doing it. Probably the leader in this right now is Eleven Labs. Um, they are just yeah. My uh, AI Leo like, voice is from Eleven it's Labs. Frightening. Yeah, yeah. I know some folks that are like that. They're doing their interviews with it. Like they type it out and just send it to, send it yeah, to somebody. It's pretty wild. Like, I don't want to. And um and so the as uh, so Eleven Labs is is kind of nailing that that process. But this one is so. But, but then the the hardest part is this idea of I'm going to change the mouth movement. So I'm going to move and and but we, we we can do it and we've been doing it in visual effects for the last couple of years where you're using you're basically rebuilding that model now what the in visual effects the impact is all those dubs that you see um eventually will will use this for movies for the releases so you don't have any kind of lack of sync with the person talking but but i think that this really benefits and when it becomes real time which is probably going to be a while this is this is probably 100 100x on 100 1 to 100 um so it probably takes a long time to render um the but when it happens it means that the individual speaking about what they care about whether it's what he cares about or what Zelensky cares about speaking in their own language coming in in english or french or whatever language it needs to go out to is a huge value uh, um for that speaker to increase the impact of what they're saying, you know, um, because right now everybody's crippled by, by translation, like, you know, like the, 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 the interpret interpretation in this case, everybody gets crippled by interpretation because the interpreters, they have bad mics. They have, they're kind of, they're always kind of droning on They're They're not any more accurate than the large language model, in my opinion. Um, and so it's just really frustrating. You always go, there's gotta be a better way to do this. And this is the best I've, I was just kind of so let me show you again the amazing. the actual speech. Uh, Malay is talking to Davos. Either to the general well-being. Quite on the contrary, and you hear it's the intrinsically unfair uh-huh. idea because it's violent. It's unjust because the state. Is and actually, violent. I think the simultaneous translator is doing a decent job of getting okay. the intonation in there. This is the deep fake, and does so increasingly faster, but is also fair and morally superior. Thanks to capitalism. The world is currently in its best moment. There has never it been a moment It sounds like his voice, by the way. I should say if you heard Mila's voice. Than the one we live in today. The mouth movements are perfect. Today's world is freer, richer, more peaceful. I think it looks a little funny every once in a while, but... Well, not, you know, if you didn't know ahead of time to look for yeah. it... This is true for everyone, know. but particularly for those countries that are that's free... That's the scary part, right? They respect yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the deep fake concern is that you could make... To put this in the mouth of Benjamin Netanyahu... No, Everything, as as Corey so uh, succinctly uh, said earlier, everything comes with good and bad. <laughs> yeah. So the good side of this is allowing people to speak to the whole world in their native language. I can speak in my native language. It goes out to them in their native language. It's a, it is a head and shoulder ability to, to communicate in a much more powerful way. And we're eliminating 
you know, the, it's, it's like Star Trek. You know, no one thinks about language. I saw hey, the downside Janet, of it is people CES will people will put four words years in ago. Mouths. They had fake uh, people, but they were based on real people. So these are these yep. are um, presenters that look very real. Uh, apparently, though, they can do it with now with real people as a deep fake, which is interesting. And these, well, these, I think these, is, these are simulated presenters, right? You choose the presenter you want, the language you want them to speak in. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. I do uh, worry, though, because we're in a weird, you know, 2024 is going to be a major election year. We've got presidential elections in the U.S. We've got general election in the U.K. And this kind of technology is really coming of age, as it were, I suspect we're going to see some really interesting examples this year of completely fake scandals coming through. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. I, I have more faith in people's ability to detect these or at least to be suspicious of them. I think generally what happens is people believe what they want to believe and they look for things to reinforce their beliefs. I don't think people's minds are changed by these things. Am I? Is that hopelessly naive of me? Maybe. Like I think people. I think there's a lot of. I mean, we just have to remember that you know, we you know the uh, that uh, not everyone is above average. You know, and so and so the thing well, is, but that's, is that we, see, we often that di- this, easily this, pushed around. This discussion you know, often feels that way, almost patronizing to me. Like, well, you can't trust real people to know the difference. No, I don't mean real people, but I mean I just have to. You know, you have to have if it if it builds into their own narrative that they already look at the world, they tend to latch onto it, and it doesn't yeah. matter how smart. In fact, sometimes they're smart enough to a lot of calculate it all and figure are it all out. Obviously fake. Agreed. I mean, if you see Donald Trump with a physique that would rival, you know. Uh, Superman, you know that's fake. And people who embrace it and put it on their trucks or raise it up on the flag know that it's fake, but that doesn't matter because it says something well, to them that but is part a of it truth, is, is that, a deeper truth. But part of, but part of the challenge is, is that we're lying to people all the time. So how do we know what is true? You know, the, our government well, there is will a risk all that these things that they're not will doing, be and they are. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's, you know, when, when, you know, like, you know, there's a lot of things that we, the, the government will tell us over and over and over again. And then, and then after a while, they're like, well... It wasn't exactly that way. Is this a form of shittification, Corey? No, I guess this is different. I mean, look, I, I, I was telling the joke before we started that I'm okay with people using shittification colloquially however they want. We speak English. It doesn't have a language academy. Go ahead. I made up this word. I don't get to have the final say about how people use it. I didn't even know that Corey made right. it up. I use it all the time. I'm glad that I have reading, the origin now. The worth origin. Going a journalist, I love it, but I just dread seeing it in the headline because I know that everyone's going to be like, how dare they be pussing oh, out? I, this is one of the reasons I think it's successful is that mm-hmm. it's... Uh, anyway, that's a separate point. But I, I think that Leo... both Actually, both uh, uh, Leo and Alex, you hit on something really important there, which is that um, the it's often the case that we already have both norms and rules against the kinds of uses of defect technology that we're worried about. So, for example... Um, there are pretty strict rules about election interference that um, apply irrespective of whether you're doing it with a computer or not. Uh, you know, thankfully, w- unlike, say, in privacy, where we have somehow decided that you can violate the law so long as you do it with an app, we have not gotten there with election interference. Uh, we do take that seriously. There are pretty stiff penalties. I was uh, just on a panel right after the George Carlin, uh, bad George oh, Carlin. Oh, my God, was that awful. 
and his yeah. family were very upset. And I, I understand, but you know, uh, we have personality rights in places where that would apply. And, um, we have also had impersonators for a really long time. And th- like the fact that the impersonation is easier and faster has some changes at the margin, but it's like, it's a change in degree and not a, not a, a, a change in kind. And, you know, we already have rules about when an impersonator crosses a line and when they don't. You know, Elvis is obviously dead, supposedly. But uh, if an Elvis impersonator <laughs> were to try to... on my chip shop who's... That was <laughs> sneaky right. of you there, Corey. Okay, right, but, but But if an, if an Elvis impersonator were to try to, like access the Elvis Presley estate. Yeah, we'd know. Right? And yeah. draw the money out of it. We would we would have the we would know what the cause of action was. Yeah. Um and and you know uh in the in the UK you know the, the for the every year there's a a season on channel on Radio 4 where Dead Ringers impersonates mm-hmm. political people. It's not election interference. Uh there is no intention to fool someone if someone is fooled. There is not a uh, a crime that's been committed, and and probably the people who make the show will, having fooled someone, make a point of of letting it be known that they weren't intending to fool you and try and set the record straight. So th- there are some genuinely novel, scary things about um, uh, AI and deepfakes and so on. But of really large numbers of the ones that people come up with really seem like they're part and parcel of the whole kind of weird thing that AI bros do where they hold a flashlight under their chin and say, AI, <laughs> you know, like the, the, the spicy autocomplete is going to turn us into paper clips. <laughs> In the future, no one will know what's true. And, and I, I think that, you know, it's possible to like, cleave the the silliness from the real issues and there's some real issues i'm a science fiction writer i love digging into those without kind of just just um creating a situation which you can sound profound by rubbing your chin and saying well what about after ai comes to this well even even worse i think uh, a lot of ai executives are using this to hype their products Uh, famously uh, sam altman talking to ina freed uh uh, i think this was uh, also at davos said chat gpt will have to evolve in uncomfortable ways and it, you know it gives you the the veneer of oh i care i am i'm really paying attention to this and we really care but really really what it's all about is saying see how brilliant our ai is it could even yeah. it could even be uncomfortable ha the the scholar Lee Vinsel at Virginia Tech has a really useful term for this. He calls it "crita hype," like criticism. Crita hype. hype. I love it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So you know this. The uh, like, and he he I think coined it mostly to talk about um, tech bros who work for surveillance advertising companies making claims about having built mind, mind control rays, which you know, like, <laughs> or or Cox Media Group saying we can listen to every device yeah, in your house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it's like, right? That you you can criticize these companies on the one hand for claim for like wanting to build a mind control ray, like wanting to build a mind control ray objectively makes you a very bad person, right? But you don't have to believe that they built the mind control ray, especially when they're like these much more parsimonious explanations for what's going on. Like maybe the reason you're getting so much money for your ads is that ad tech is a duopoly and you guys have this secret program called uh, Jedi Blue where Google and Facebook illegally collude to rig the ad market. And maybe that's why the ad market is so lucrative and not because you figured out how to make Grampy into a QAnon. Yeah, you know, I think that the, I think that it's not so much that uh, 
I guess what I, I when I look at it, I'm, I'm a big fan of AI. I mean, like pretty much I, all I cook are AI recipes now. I asked ChatGPT, like I'm, I'm like, you are a three. The key with ChatGPT is you tell it where it's coming from, what you want, you know, and then the output and say, you are a, a, a Michelin chef. Make me a tomato, like give me a recipe for a tomato soup and it'll give me, I just made it. It's great. Um, anyway, so, uh, so anyway, the, um, and so, and I use mid journey all day, you know, so, so like these are chat GPT, my wife, who is not necessarily high tech, but she just pulls out chat GPT on her phone all the time. Like just asks the questions and does, you know, and so I, I don't, I, I think that it is part of our life and it's going to make a lot of things better at the same time. You know, I do think we have to be, we have to know that. You know, it, you know, to error is human, but to really screw things up requires a computer. And, yep. and, 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 <laughs> yes. the, and the, it's, it's the mass of, of production that can be done. Um, you know, and I look at it, we, there was someone who, there was something that I, that I wanted to do for a long time. And I was talking, um, CJ is a friend of mine. He's, he is, he uses resolve. And I said, here's what I want to do. I want you to look at a movie. I want to look at a movie. I want you to cut all of the scenes, all, every cut, every camera angle. And then I want the frame in the middle of that camera angle so that we can look at color, you know? And I was like, I, I've been asking black magic for this for, I don't know, a decade of like, add this thing because it lets us analyze movies. And, um, and he, and he wrote it and he, and like, it's a little script that works inside of black magic and it just sends you a poster literally. And he's like, do you want it 30 rows wide or 40 rows wide? So I said, how long have you been programming? He goes, oh, I've never programmed at all. And I was like, w- w- what? <laughs> and he goes, oh, no, I did the whole thing in ChatGPT. Yeah. He goes, like, he goes, I, I pointed ChatGPT towards the scripting language and opened it up and just told it what I wanted and then just keep on. And then I did a couple little things to correct here and there. And I, I would have it look at the code and he goes, but I've never programmed at all. Wow. <laughs> I was just, I was just like, oh. I don't think in general, is- by the way, that that's going to be ineffective. Tool, although I've talked to a lot of AI yeah. uh, people who are saying, yeah, writing code is is dead. It's, com- uh, it's well, no, no, prompts, I don't think, but I think it's good for. Still- it was well, the I mean, first Stack Overflow, Stack Overflow banned um, ChatGPT three. Yeah, it's a huge uh, threat to them the because huge yeah. numbers of errors. Now, I mean, well, I think more because actually- it's a threat to them because people won't go to Stack Overflow anymore. They're going to go to ChatGPT and do the same query. I'm, yeah, I use I use a, I created an expert GPT in my mm-hmm. language of choice, which is Common Lisp. And it will write code, but I will never, I, I guess I could, but cut and paste the code. But it is v- very useful for me as a reference uh, that I can use as I code. And uh, by the way, one of the things I did, which I think is important, uh, I don't know if Copilot does this or not, but I suspect they do, is I said, please don't, I don't want hallucinations. Only come up with an answer that you can get from the corpus of materials. I gave them all sorts of uh, Lisp books and stuff. That's why it works well with Common Lisp because it's so old. There's a lot of stuff in public domain, and it's quite good. And and I asked it this morning. I so I forgot that I was still in the expert instead of in the regular chat beat GPT. And I asked it a question during Ask the Tech Guys. I said I don't know anything about that. I, if you have a question about Common Lisp, I'll be glad to answer it, which I made me very happy. It wasn't. It isn't going to hallucinate. I think ex- I mean, there are uses right now for AI. I guess mm-hmm. like coding, but certainly for expert systems or coding assists, just like someday we'll be able to take our hands off the wheel and read a book while a car drives. But for right now, the smart thing to do would be keep your hands on the wheel and, and work together with the AI mm. as it drives. But I mean, you mentioned hallucination, and this is something which is it's kind of a hot button for me, because obviously when all this stuff came out, as a journalist, your first thought is, right. Let's check it out. Can we actually write articles? Can we automate things like financial results stories or 
outed reports on that sort or of thing. Or sporting we, stories. <clears throat> yeah, you see, we tried it out, and the amount of time we have to spend editing to get rid of right. these hallucinations... Well, that was your a, mistake. Well, no, but hallucination <laughs> is just a really nice Sports way of Illustrated saying Sports Illustrated Put this that up. Wrong. Just put that up. We don't care. It doesn't oh. matter. Uh, What's happened to Sports Illustrated has been very strange this week. And I mean, I as a Brit, I didn't really quite understand the cultural significance of swimsuit oh, issue. Huge. But the amount of people huge. screaming about it online. Huge. So um, just for those yeah. who don't know, mass layoffs at Sports Illustrated. It had a very weird economic uh, pinning. The 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 name Sports Illustrated and the rights to Sports Illustrated was owned by one company, which had purchased it from a Time Inc. many years ago, but then licensed to another company, which was responsible for editorial content and publishing the magazine, uh, the Arena Group. So the company that owns the Sports Illustrated name and rights, which apparently only was interested in things like um, <laughs> building Sports Illustrated hotels, Authentics Brand Group, they're a licensing what? company. Yeah, there was going to be a Sports Illustrated hotel. So the the sad tale of this is, and it's pretty much the same tale about all, all media empires uh, from years gone by. Meredith, big magazine publisher, bought Time Inc. for $3 billion in 2017. A couple of years later, they started to sell it off for parts. Sports Illustrated was sold to this authentic brands group which is a licensing company that acquires the rights to celebrity brands. They bought it for $110 million, mostly for the name, so they could have a Sports Illustrated hotel. And then they asked this arena group, which owns Men's Journal Parade, The Street, uh, for 10 years. They did a 10-year deal that you will publish and operate Sports Illustrated. It paid about 45 according to the New York Times, $45 million for the rights to do so. Um, well... Arena Group has been running into trouble and has basically laid off mu almost all of the staff, including some of the most famous names in sport writing. Mm -hmm. uh, they got also got in trouble for having an AI write some of their articles. In fact, the CEO lost his job over that. Uh, at this uh, right now, uh, Arena Group. So they had a seven-minute Zoom call on Friday <laughs> with this with the staff. Laid most of them off. Many of them, they said, "Well, we're not going to fire you now. You have ninety days." <laughs> Which is not this is not exactly uh, incentive. Uh, we will continue to produce a Sports Illustrated brand. They said an online content until the situation is fully resolved. Yeah, but so, I mean the same thing happened with CNET this week as well. I mean CNET right. were put up for sale by their owners. It's a that's a really crying shame for what used mm -hmm. to be a great totally brand. destroyed but, it. That's Red Ventures, right? Yeah. That uh, yeah yeah. And of course, exactly. they did the same thing. They had an AI yeah. writing articles. So maybe that's the uh, canary in the coal mine. When you start seeing AI written articles, that's a sign that, that a, if you start seeing AI generated podcasts on Twit, that's a sure mm -hmm. sign that the whole thing is going tits up, in the words <laughs> it's, of it's your really, people. It's, it's really important to understand that when we see things that AIs are good at, right, like identifying. Uh, potentially cancerous masses on x-rays or maybe outlining an essay or maybe writing some software um, that the the way in which that makes for a better world is one in which the person a human. who is skilled yeah. 
who who would normally do that job gets a second opinion. Right. Right. Like I really like that I have a car that when I put my signal light on, if there's a car in my blind spot, it it beeps at me, right? And I rented a car a little while ago that had a thing where if I crossed the median, it had a virtual rumble strip. It had had, uh, uh, haptics in the steering wheel, right? All those things are really great. And and the the thing to understand is that the, the pitch from the firms and that the pitch from the investors is not, hey, your radiologist who currently processes 10 chest X-rays a day will only process nine because the second opinion from the AI is going to come up one out of 10 times and that radiologist is going to redo it. You will catch more cancerous masses, but it's going to cost you more. The pitch for AI is fire some radiologists, mm, yeah. right? And, and so I, I am all for things that help people. I, after many years of uh, auto-disabling spell check, or, or disabling auto spell check, I finally turned it back on and I'm catching typos while I write. Uh, this is literally, I did this like a month ago. I have not had auto spell check on I- until a month ago for my wow. whole writing career because it drives me what? crazy to, to get interrupted. That's impressive. Are you a very right? good I don't speller, like being Corey? Interrupted. Uh, well, I'm a pretty good speller, but I would run spell check after I was done with the document. What I didn't want was the machine saying, you know, basically, like, it's just low-key clippy, right? The, the underlying yeah. red line is low-key clippy. <laughs> you seem to be spelling a word, right? right? Would you like help with that? And I might, but I don't want help with it while I'm writing. And and I just, I reached a point where I finally said, okay, I'll do it. No, I mean, but, well, we, we've well, got well, the wait a minute, before with, I, I with gotta, Grammarly, actually... where you've got journalists using Grammarly for, or, or various other, you know, sure. AI apparently, you know, writing tools which can and it just comes across as so bland and right you, know, so you, you, you can, can ignore it badly so so cory i just have to know though you've turned it on now is it a mm-hmm. disadvantage is it annoying you is it uh i've uh, as is the case with many technological changes uh it was very annoying at first and then i got used to it and it just regressed to the mean this is the thing i i mean i knew that would happen it's the thing i tell everyone is like oh i could never switch to linux or firefox or thunderbird or whatever it's like you know what for the first two weeks it's going to drive you crazy and then like if you're ever noticing your operating system ever ever something is bad (laughs) and i i don't know i don't notice my operating system i don't think of myself as an ubuntu user any more than i think of myself as a shoe wearer or someone with centralized heating or you know like oh you're one of those centralized heating guys i know yeah yeah yeah. it's it doesn't make me a member of an oppressed ethnic minority or anything right um and but the other thing that i that i want to say is that oftentimes the solutions that um automation proposes are uh, solutions that literally can't work. So you talked about keeping your hands on the wheel, taking your hands off the wheel. I mean, uh, when I'm in um, not the city I live in now, uh, LA, but the city I grew up in, uh, Toronto, or the city I I'd spent 13 years in, London, I take my hands off the wheel. I'm traveling down the road all the time because I'm in a bus. And it's great. <laughs> you and never the reality put your hands is, on the wheel. In fact, it geometry, would be a breach of the law to put your hands right. on the wheel. Ge- geometry hates cars. Right. There isn't a world in which like there isn't an AI algorithm that will let you solve the Red Queen's race where every time you add a car to the road, you um, increase the distance, uh, you increase the amount of road you need, which increases the distance between the things that you're trying to get to, which increases the amount of cars that you need. Right. I've been um, 
uh, traveling to Southern California since 1989 when I was 18 years old. Uh, and, and I always started going to Disneyland from an early age. I then worked at Imagineering and was driving from Glendale down to Anaheim. And I've watched the five down in Orange County go from like eight lanes to 16 lanes. And now there's places where I think it's over 30 lanes wide and the traffic is worse. It's worse, right? It's not better. Bosch painting, right? There isn't an, uh, there isn't an amount of cars that is the, that is going to solve this problem, but there is an amount of trains that will solve that problem. Mm. And so I just think that a lot of the times when we are confronted with really serious problems, there's a technological way of approaching it that's often posed as an all of the above solution, right? Where it's like, well, we need to do everything to, you know, resolve the climate emergency or get people around cities. We need cars, we need buses, we need this, we need that. But these are actually at odds with each other, right? If you're building highways, you're not building subways. What you really, um, this is, it's such, I finished the power broker a few months ago and I can't stop talking oh, yeah. about it. But this is one of the lessons of the power broker is this, Old Robert Moses, who was not only racist, but just had for some reason believed in cars. I think he was taking money from the rubber manufacturers and the gasoline yeah. manufacturers and the car manufacturers and was so adamantly against mass transit that he thwarted every attempt to do it in a sensible way. For instance, when they were building these uh, highways, uh, he called them parkways. Uh, because he mm-hmm. thought of them as a park, uh, somebody pointed out, you know, you could easily, would at a minimal cost, put train tracks in the middle. You would then yeah. kill two birds with one stone because you've now got, you know, during this infrastructure build, very inexpensively, you've got train tracks and cars. And he would thwart it at every uh, Yeah, he step. built the footings so that it was impossible to install a train underneath it. Yeah, he no. deliberately changed the shape of the yeah. footings to make sure no trains could run well, underneath Well, and he them. also made, uh, made the bridges too low for buses because he didn't want uh, black people yeah. bust to there's apparently that's a myth but, I, but it's not a, a myth no 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 the no? i've talked to people those bridges are 10 feet no, high a, you could get a, a personal a, car beneath them but not yeah. a bus so the, there's a really good read-along of uh, uh, of the Power Broker on 99% Invisible right now, and they just did the first episode. Uh, yeah, somebody's been had, telling me about this. I have to They listen. had Robert Caro on. Ah. He's still alive. Oh, yeah. Wow. Him on, and he talked about going to Robert Moses's offices yeah. and interviewing for the book, and he, t- he told this incredible story about the day Robert Moses figured out that it wasn't going to be flattering. And like, you know, <laughs> I'll have to listen to this. It's a, it's, it's a great, it's, it's, uh, I listened to it yesterday. It just dropped last week. It's terrific. I really recommend it. It's that it's called the power broker, but it's in the 99% invisible feed. I'll tell you, she, I'll my, tell my you. wife, my wife, uh, recommended I read that book because I'd never even heard of Moses. No, I hadn't um, either. And I grew up in New we, York, but, yeah. but it's kind of buried in the history of New York, but he, f- he's created that city. I mean, as mm-hmm. in the modern form, yeah. uh, it's a, fa- you know, it's funny. It's a something like 1600 pages. Uh, it's so thick, you know, you can barely carry it. Uh, and I wish it weren't over. Well, I was so sad when it ended. I want to read it again. It's one of those books where you, it's it's daunting to look at it, but then it's just incredible. Caro's amazing. There's also a good documentary. I think it's called Turn Every Page about Robert Gottlieb, his editor, and Robert Caro features both of them. That's hot, really a great documentary. I highly mm. recommend. I got to take a break. Uh, we're having way too much fun, and I didn't even get to enshittification. So we'll t- we'll talk Ooh, about that. Some fun with that one. We're gonna have some fun with that. In fact, while you're while I'm doing the ad, you can look up the original uh, piece. 
Uh, it was republished in Wired, but read it on Pluralistic.net, which is Corey, Corey's blog. The title of it is TikToks and Shitification. Is this the first time you use that phrase? No, I, I'd used it a few times before that, uh, but it but was this the, is one the one that enshrined it in the American variety. And that was like a yeah. year ago yesterday or the day before. Oh, happy it's, anniversary. Life comes at you fast. This is Here is how platforms die. We're going to talk about that in just a bit. But first... A word from our sponsor, Corey Doctoros here, Alex Lindsay, Ian Thompson. It's a great panel. More twit coming up, but first, a word from Palo Alto Networks. Palo Alto Networks offers ZT for OT. Ooh, without the trauma. Operational technology, zero trust. Keeping operational technology secure and running smoothly can be a tall order. It's, it's, it's enough to make even the coolest operations director wake up with night sweats, but now you can have peace of mind with Zero Trust OT security. Zero Trust OT security delivers comprehensive visibility and security for all OT assets, networks, and remote operations. The Palo Alto Network Solution provides exceptional OT protection. More than 1,100 app IDs for OT protocols, 500-plus profiles for critical OT assets, and more than 650 OT-specific threat signatures supported. It provides best-in-class security while simplifying OT security management. It sees and protects everything in the network, and it automates threat detection while implementing zero trust across all operations. Of course, it's Palo Alto Network's zero trust for OT security. Sleep better with the most comprehensive platform to detect, manage, and secure OT assets. Learn how the Palo Alto Networks, I love it, ZT for OT, zero trust for OT security solution, can achieve 351% ROI over five years. To learn more, check the link in the show notes or visit Palo Alto Networks. Dot com. That's Palo Alto Networks.com. We thank them so much for their support of This Week in Tech. Uh, one of the things I'd like to plug before we talk about how platforms die is how podcasting is dying. <laughs> really, you've written a little bit about this too, Corey, I know, uh, because uh, of Google and Facebook and YouTube sucking all the wind uh, out of advertising. Podcasts like ours come to you via RSS which means we don't know anything about you. We can't track you. We don't. Uh, but Spotify can, Amazon can, uh, and so can you know every platform that requires you to use their app to listen to shows. Uh, advertisers are so hooked. It's like sugar or heroin. They're so hooked on metrics and knowing more about the audience, and, and, uh, and, and they just don't want to give that up. So increasingly it's been difficult for us to sell advertising we work we love our advertisers and they do a we know we do a great job for them they benefit from it but they still want those audience demographics and we're still unwilling to give it to them so we realize well, google, couple, sorry i was gonna i was gonna say google's manifest v3 is gonna really put the cash oh, get the ready for that. On this one yeah yeah now google it's oh actually we should talk about this because uh, steve did a great piece on this new uh uh thing that Google is doing to replace third-party cookies. Um, it's really interesting. We'll, we'll talk about that, too, uh, a little bit later on the show. I just want to say, at this point, if you want to support the network, the best way to do it, yes, support our advertisers. Yes, we're going to continue to get great advertisers on, but the best way to do it is to join the club. Increasingly, uh, this is, you know what, this is the value that we add. 
is a community and it's a great community and we and we know you love being a part of this community so if you join the club seven bucks a month that's all you get ad-free versions of all the shows you get the discord you get the twit plus feed you get shows we produce exclusively for the club uh, including ios today is now moved into the club plus lots of fun events we've got stacy's book club coming up in a couple of weeks that's going to be great we're doing paulo bachigalupi's the water knife Wow, what a sh- what a book that is! That'll be a very interesting uh, club event, February eighth. You have the same agent, me and Paolo. Do you? I loved the Wind Up Girl. Uh, oh, and, great and book! Great, one of my favorite sci-fi books. And then I started reading the Water Knife. I haven't finished it yet. I'm reading it for the book club. Uh, it's grim. It's about a yeah. a very grim climate change future. Uh, but uh, you know it's also important, and it's and he's such a good writer. It's just his he characterizations are and a mensch. Just is just, he uh, a really swell fellow? Oh, I'm so glad oh, to hear excellent. that. Yeah, one of the good ones. Well, I love his stuff. Anyway, uh, that'll be part of the club too. So if you would just this is just a plug to join Club Twit. Seven bucks a month. Twit.tv/slash/club/twit. Uh, we love our our Twit Club members, and we'd like you to be part of this distinctive group of smart people <laughs> in the club. Um, thank you in advance. I appreciate it. <sighs> Come join us. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great meme. Um, so, inspiration, And this is how Corey begins that uh, now, I think, classic blog post. Here is how platforms die. First, they're good to their users. Think Amazon and, it, and its customer-centric approach. Then they abuse their users to make things better for their business customers. Again, think about Amazon and the third-party sellers. Half half of what you buy on Amazon now doesn't come from Amazon. It comes from third-party sellers. And then finally, and this is the stage Amazon's in, they abuse those business customers to claw back all the value for themselves, and then they die. <laughs> it's a, It's kind of the new digital business cycle. Uh, and, and it happens, and you can see it over and over again. Corey's been very good about documenting it. Um, Corey, your argument, which I completely agree with, is not that you're going to ever stop this, but this is the argument for interoperability. We should be able to hop from platform to platform, and as platforms start becoming user hostile, we just go to the next one. Right? Yeah, I, I think I think about that as being sort of related to the the problem of wildfire in California. Uh, you know, we, we, we've always had fire in California. The indigenous people who lived here before the settlers came used to have controlled burns and that would clear the dead stuff away from the bottom of the forest and it would open up the canopy for new growth. And when the settlers came, they declared war on fire. And is it, by thought, the way, isn't it amazing that these indigenous peoples knew to do that? Well, they were here for like, a long time. Uh, um, millennia, right? Yeah. And so yeah, maybe they didn't so. at first, right? They just figured it they out. They learned. Yeah, if we don't so, burn it, it will. God will. So, yeah. So yeah. so ending good fire didn't end fire. It just ended uh, control fire. And then now we have wildfire, right? So even if we resolve the climate emergency, California is still going to burn because we have all this fire debt. It's, and it's in the same also way... also the eco- ecological cycle. You, It's part sure. of how it works yeah, there's a whole bunch of plants that only reproduce by by creating fire and then their seed pods open in the fire and stuff but yeah. but you know the same thing used to be true of tech right it used to be prior to the carter era especially but then sl- slowly less and less in the years afterwards 
that companies weren't really allowed to buy their competitors or merge with their competitors. They weren't allowed to sell goods below cost in order to prevent other firms from entering their markets. Um, those were all just generally prohibited. There were, there were exceptions around the margins, but that was the way things worked. And so it meant that when no one at Cray could figure out how to make a good computer anymore, that was the end of Cray. And it meant that, you know, when, um, uh, uh, IBM, uh, monopolized its market. It was taken to court for 12 years and eventually it had to do things like make PCs out of commodity components and unbundle the OS and get a third party company called Microsoft to make its OS. And so we used to have companies that rose and fall, right? We fell. We used to have good fire and it, it meant that, um, users were, could be protected because it was very easy to escape a platform. You know, if you had an IBM mainframe that IBM didn't want to support anymore, there were the the so-called seven dwarves, the the mostly Japanese electronics companies that would continue to make peripherals for them that were plug compatible. And if you used um, Mac OS and your CIO wanted to take your computer away and replace it with a Windows machine because Mac Office was so bad that you couldn't communicate with your colleagues, Steve Jobs could just have his technologist reverse engineer uh, office and make iWork with pages, numbers, and keynote that could read and write Word, Excel, and PowerPoint files. And you could switch from one to the other. In fact, right after iWork, we got the switch campaign, right? It's right. very easy to switch. You right. should switch. It's the plug-compatible right? plug software. Yeah. Right. But do that do that today, and they'll bomb you to the rubble bounces, right? Make a runtime for iOS that can, uh, or runtime for another platform that can run iOS apps and playback media that Apple has sold you, or create a scraper that lets you leave Facebook but uh, fetch the messages that are showing up in your inbox or and OG. put them in your Mastodon yeah. inbox yeah. or your OG yeah. inbox, or yeah, yeah, create OG app. Um, you know, Google at one point sent software agents to every server on the internet to say, hi, I'm, I'm just a user. Have you got any pages? I'd like all of your pages, please. <laughs> and, uh, if you were to try and scrape Google right now, uh, they bomb you till you gloat, right? And so um, my argument is that we've put, we, we've allowed these firms to grow to an unsustainable size, right? That, that a firm that has $3 trillion in business and is taking 30% margins out of an entire industry and getting and deciding unilaterally what apps can and can't exist or, or what, effectively what businesses can and can't exist or Amazon, which is taking 51% out of every dollar that its sellers uh, make and is uh, the largest employer in the country and whose employees are laboring under just the most incredibly awful conditions. They, they have uh, double the accident rate in Amazon warehouses relative to other fulfillment centers. Um, and, you know, we all know about peeing in bottles and so on. That, that the remedy for that is not to um, uh, try and make those companies behave themselves. I mean, we should do that too but not to the extent that we create rules that make it hard for other companies to enter the market and not to the extent that we have companies saying, well, if you force us to open our app store, interoperate our chat protocol, or allow third parties to fulfill uh, orders uh, that are um, placed through our e-commerce platform, or if you prohibit us from selling on the platform that we own, that where we are competing with our own independent vendors, um, then we won't be able to keep our users safe. Right. That that ultimately the way you keep users safe is by evacuating them from the fire zone, <laughs> not by adding more fire suppression to the zone, which tempts more people to, to pile into this place that is going to burn. Right. That that and, and that um, where they're in danger all the time.
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Facebook get a big advantage when they created a tool to allow people from MySpace, MySpace. to transface yeah. straightforward, straightforward over with all their contacts? If you actually pitch that to Meta now, they would see you into oblivion. Well, it's what it's what they did to a company called um, Power Ventures. They 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 destroyed them uh, for making an interoperable multi multi platform inbox for Facebook and LinkedIn and a bunch of other platforms, Twitter and so on. Some of which used APIs and some of which used uh, scraping. You know, and th- every pirate dreams of being an admiral. And their pitch is always <laughs> the same. When we did this to those other companies, that was progress. But when new companies do it to us, that's piracy. And and I, I'm just I'm not faulting Apple for reverse engineering office. I think that was great. I was a CIO back then and I was making those calls where we had designers, you know, in an office full of, of PCs, the designer with the only Mac who just like, you know, first I would put a PC on their desk to use as a, as a, office workstation because they could not read or write office files that came from their windows colleagues without corrupting them and so they they would switch to another computer and when that became too ungainly i just put big graphics cards in their pcs and threw away their macs and i didn't like it and they didn't like it but what was i going to do i loved it when apple came out with iwork suite uh, I, and i just wish they'd share Right. I loved it when Google came up with a great way of indexing the web. I just wish they'd share. Yeah. Uh, but this, you, know, but you said you said we don't need a regulation, but it does argue for good antitrust regulation, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. So we need antitrust. We do need interoperability st- um, mandates. We need uh, um, we need to clear the way we need to immunize people who build interoperable products. And, the you know, the, the identification thesis has broadened significantly since that first article. It's been just over a year. Um, I just put together a book proposal for it, and I'm giving a big speech in Berlin that kind of tracks the book proposal next week. I'm going to be there for um, uh, Transmediale, and I'm going to give them a clue in lecture at the Canadian Embassy. I think it's sold out, but you can check. If Will it be Berlin. streamed? It probably won't be streamed. Uh, they're going to record it, though. Is this the Marshall um, McLuhan lecture? Are you doing the Marshall? Yeah. At wow, the, at the Corey. Embassy, wow. Very cool. That's high praise. Holy cow. It's going to be cool. I mean, as a Canadian, that's about as good as it gets. Yes. For sure. Yes. That's, uh, that's, that's, yeah. But, but I, 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 in this speech, I lay out this idea that there are, um, four forces that keep companies from identifying. That one of them is this fear of self-help, right? The fear that a user will type into a search engine. How do I get my data out of here? How do I block these ads? How do I, uh, stop recommendations? How do I turn off this anti-feature? How do I jailbreak my printer to put in third-party ink? Because at that point, your revenue from that user falls to zero, right? So that's one thing that firms fear. And the broad prohibition against reverse engineering and this kind of adversarial interoperability has killed that constraint. But there are other constraints. So one of them is um, competition, right? Companies that fear that you will go to a rival are companies that will probably treat you better on average. And if they don't, you can always go to that rival. Now, when firms are allowed to buy all their competitors, you know, Google being a company that has uh, only made one really successful product in-house, a, a 25-year-old search engine, and then virtually oh, everything so else successful. they made. <laughs> well, very, right? But then well, everything not else so much these in, days, but yeah. Well, that's better, not, you know, it's not enough. Anymore, right? Yeah. Yeah. And oh, man. Everything else they've made in-house has failed, almost with that exception. Yeah. And everything they, they have that works, their video platform, mobile, ad tech, 
uh, server management, docs, uh, collaboration maps, satellite photos. There are other people's ideas that they bought and operationalized. And as an ops guy, I mean, I'm not saying operations is nothing, but they're not Willy Wonka's idea factory. They're like rich uncle penny bags and his room full of janitors. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, Tim, I had a, I had a Google, but that, but that I had a Google idea. PR because we refer to them as a chocolate factory because they came up with so many. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting innovations. And I had a Google PR say, if we could get you to drop the chocolate factory thing, we would be. I, I might, my, I have a directorship by now. But you're right. I mean, other than search, search, everything else has been bought in. And it's yeah. the same with yeah. with Meta. It's the same to an extent with other tech companies well, as well. I, it reminds it's me, though, of Larry Lessig, who uh, for a long time was really fighting against, like you, Corey, against uh, copy protection back in the day, DRM, and realized ultimately that what's happened, and I think this is really true in this case, what's happened is these companies have become so powerful and, more importantly, so rich, and our government is so based on money that they are effectively impregnable. They're, they can't be beaten yeah. because they become so powerful. Mm-hmm. They have so much money. They can buy Congress. They can buy the presidency. So, they can buy the Supreme Court. And so it's, it's so hard just, for us to turn it around at this but, point. But it's not just how much money they have. It's how few companies are in the sector. Because if you remember the Napster Wars when Larry was doing his thing, the tech industry was 10 times larger than the entertainment industry, but they got their ass kicked because they were 100 squabbling companies. Right. Right. Now they're a cartel of five companies. Right. Whereas before, the music and, and Hollywood Studios uh, firms were, were seven companies. Right. They found it very easy to agree on what they were going to say to Congress. Tech was never on message. Right. They were always stabbing each other in the back. Mm-hmm. Cartels are a necessary precondition for regulatory capture, which is how you get this environment today where privacy, labor, and consumer rights can be violated with impunity provided you do it with an app. And self-help measures can be destroyed because you can not only, when you capture your regulators, stop from being regulated, but you can also regulate your competitors, right? You can stop uh, new market entrants from entering by having regulations that prevent them from doing these things. So, so what, what Larry concluded was, well, the only solution is to any of these problems is to get money out of politics. Money out of politics. Sure. He, he ran for president briefly on the premise that I'm going to choose a really good vice president. I'm going to get into office. And this is the only way I can get money out of politics because, of course, all the incumbents are living off of the trough. Right. They're not going to abandon the trough. So I'm going to get in. I'm going to be president. I'm going to get. I'm going to get. You know, campaign reform, executive finance order. reform by executive order. Yeah. Then I'll resign because I don't want to do the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, let- yeah. Day one, that was his promise. It was a. It was a. It was a great stunt. A little but chaotic, so, but the, quixotic. But it. But it you the know. first three forces that regulate companies: competition. Uh, regulation and self-help have all been put paid to by the elimination of antitrust and the permission for firms to grow through acquisition and predatory pricing. And then the fourth thing that always protected us was workers, because although tech workers have never been unionized in great numbers, they were in great demand. In fact, that's why they never saw the need to unionize, because they had so much worker power. Just they already had collective. I won't do it. I'll quit. Yeah. 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 And and so for a long time, you had these workers who were they were vulnerable to exploitation because they saw themselves as like fulfilling a holy mission. That's why don't be evil and all those other corporate mottos mattered, because 
that the workers took them seriously and they would be, you know, extremely hardcore, as Musk puts it, or, or Fabazi Attar calls it vocational awe when you, you take your job seriously and you care about it. And so you let yourself be talked into, you know, missing kids' birthday parties and your doctor's appointments and like your fertility window and whatever. And, and as a result, when their bosses said, Hey, this thing that you worked so hard on, we demand that you it, they would say no, and you're going to have to fire me because um, I'm not going to do it. And I know I can get a job across the street from someone who won't make me destroy the thing that I gave up my heart and soul to, to do. Now, that worked for a long time, which is one of the reasons that I think all those other constraints falling away was not felt as sharply. But as firms have become more concentrated, they've also become um, more able to dictate terms to their workforce. So last year, Google fired 12,000 employees just months after they did a stock buyback that would have paid their salaries for 27 years. And I think now every Googler has gotten the message that if you tell your boss, I'm not going to identify that product, you'll have to fire me. Your boss is going to say, great, turn in your badge and don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. And so now we have been shorn of all of these constraints on the worst impulses of the worst people in companies that have always been mixed bags and everything is going downhill very quickly but the thing about this analysis is that it tells us what we need to do to unwind it, to disqualify things, restore labor power, restore self-help measures, muscular, highly administratable regulations on privacy, consumer protection, and labor law, and restore competition, block rotten mergers like Microsoft Activision, which mm-hmm. Lena Khan is still saying she's going to block, um, prohibit uh, predatory pricing, continue to, to unwind mergers. You know, the America Act would force both Google and uh, Meta to um, break up their ad tech stacks and spin them off. The two sponsors for that bill are Ted Cruz and Elizabeth Warren. It's a that bizarre. That is a bipartisan bill. <laughs> that is possibly the, the worst drunken hookup you'd ever see. But <laughs> hey, if it gets the job done, well, I'm all for my it. fear is the reason you got you get these, and and that by the way, it's also with other acts like the No Fakes Act and the uh, the Interoperability Act. You get the left and the right merging is not because they agree on anything, but because they both agree. We, we got to screw big tech for, for other yeah. for opposing Everything reasons, frankly. Contingent. That's how we got Lena Khan, right? I think it was yeah. 12 or 18 Republican senators voted for her because they thought it'd be a big F you to Twitter and right. Facebook. Right. Um, but, you know, we got hey, we Lena got Khan. Yeah. She's done yeah. more in three years than her predecessors did over the last 40. She I'll was the one behind that, uh, that law that has to be as easy to cancel as it is to yeah. join and uh, banning non-competes, making privacy an element of um, of uh, she's uh, lost merger. a lot in court, and people have focused on that. They they focus on the failure and but things she, like Activision she and Microsoft. Four major mergers in December. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot. You know, yes, she's had a couple of court losses, not all of which are losses, by the way. There, there's some are still under appeal. Um, and you know, I think that like. The argument that the reason the Wall Street Journal ran uh, uh, 80 editorials in three years about Lena Khan saying that she was useless and not getting anything done <laughs> is pretty thin. Like Rupert Murdoch did not pay his staff to write done. 80. Yeah, if you're doing nothing, Rupert Murdoch does not pay his staff to write 80 editorials about how useless you are. Well, no, but I mean, this is it. The, it's not just the, the amount of stuff that's being blocked. It's the amount of takeovers that have now been withdrawn because sure. they're now seeing there's that a chilling like, effect getting that's more right. muscular about yeah, this that's right and damn yeah. right you know good on them yeah hey i yeah, want to take a really might. a quick break uh, we have more to talk about this brings us to beeper uh because there's an example of a company that attempted to create interoperability on its own and what did apple do to beeper but first 
a word from our sponsor. Thanks to Corey Doctorow and Alex Lindsay and Ian Thompson for making this a... I knew it would be, but uh, it's even better than I thought. A very special episode of This Week in Tech. Our show today brought to you by Drata. With Drata, companies can complete audits, monitor controls, and expand security assurance efforts to scale. With a suite of more than 75 integrations, Drata streamlines your compliance frameworks, providing 24-hour continuous control monitoring so you can focus on scaling securely. Drata easily integrates through applications like AWS or, or Azure or GitHub or Okta or Cloudflare, and I can go on and on. Drata's automated dynamic policy templates support companies that are new to compliance using integrated security awareness training programs, automated reminders to ensure smooth employee onboarding. And as the only player in the industry to build on a private database architecture, Drata ensures your data can never be accessed by anyone outside your organization. All Drata customers receive a team of compliance experts, including a designated customer success manager, pre-audit calls available to prepare you for when your audits begin, and you'll love Drata's Audit Hub, and so will your auditor. That's the cool part. It's the solution to faster, more efficient audits, save hours of back-and-forth communication, never misplace crucial evidence, share documentation instantly. So the bottom line here is say goodbye to manual evidence collection. Say hello to automated compliance when you visit drata.com slash twit. Request a demo and get 10% off drata.com slash twit. Bringing automation to compliance at Drata Speed. We thank them so much for their support of the show. Beeper says Apple's now blocking their Macs, the user's Macs, from using iMessage entirely. This has been an ongoing and kind of depressing saga. Beeper attempting. Now, I have to say, I, I'm not I did not think Apple would allow this to happen. People, Beeper seemed to think they would. Beeper created an Android app that would allow you to be a, uh, a blue bubble instead of a green bubble to other Apple Messages users. Uh, but they uh, Apple stopped it pretty quickly. Within a few days, uh, they, they stopped it. And so Beeper has been trying a variety of ways to get around Apple's. Well, they went back and forth. Beeper had a little stockpile mm -hmm. of different ways to to do it yeah and, all of which uh, have been thwarted by now that. they've all been thwarted yeah. yeah it is remarkable though that you know the, the 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 color of the message tone is so important to so many users yeah because this is actually I mean, not a very good messaging platform you can't use it as no. your primary messaging platform on android because it doesn't support sms uh, I mean, I think this is well. I I think that the the way to understand this is not to think about this as something that um, Beeper gets an advantage from, or that Android users get an advantage from, but that Apple users get an advantage from. Mm -hmm. So if you're an Apple user, Apple takes your privacy pretty seriously, right? They fought the FBI over end-to-end -end encryption. They fought the U.S. the U.K. government on it. They wobbled a little on um on uh, the client-side scanning, but they saw the light. Uh, they've been pretty good on this and, you know, they've been burned by problems with security in their messaging tools, right? Where, where we had, uh, so-called fappening, right? The, the mass yeah. leak of, uh, you know, non-consensual leak of nudes from, from cloud hacks that had originated often as messages that were synced to Apple's cloud platform. And, um, if you are an Apple user and you know someone who's an Android user and you have something to say to them, Apple, by default, 
will not give you any privacy in that message. You end up sending an SMS, which is the least private protocol imaginable. I mean, it is like to call it a dumpster fire is to do violence to good, hardworking dumpster fires. It is <laughs> wildly insecure. Uh, and and um, if you add an Android user to a group chat, every single person in that group chat's messages are now in the clear. And so um, Beeper came along and gave the Apple users a way to communicate with their Android fellows uh, that maintained the privacy of the platform. Now, Apple made some nonspecific claims about Beeper's security. Those claims should be taken seriously. We, we, you know, if Beeper is making a claim that they're adding security to your platform, we, sh- we, should, we should interrogate those claims. And so Beeper then published their source. And to my knowledge, no one has found any of the vulnerabilities that Apple discussed there. Apple, meanwhile, has not adhered to the minimum standard for um, describing a security defect, which is, you know, to add enough detail, some proof of concept code, perhaps, you know, the same things Apple would require from someone who reported a security defect to their own bug bounty program. None of that has been in evidence. We, we just have Apple's word for it. Um, and, you know, Apple did, when when Apple went after Beeper Plus users, they were, every time they, they tightened the noose, they made things less secure for their own users. And this last move, right, where if you have used your own Mac device to generate an iMessage identifier so that you could use your Android device securely as well. Um, now Apple will strike off all of the devices that you own so that none of them can use iMessage apparently ever again, really goes to show you that this is about um, taking the, the privacy and security of Apple users and sitting it below the hierarchy of Apple's needs relative to the lock-in that Apple gets from having a proprietary messaging platform. And if there was ever any doubt, just remember what Tim Cook told the reporter who said, what do I tell my mom who wants to communicate with me and I use iMessage? He said, buy your mom an iPhone. (laughs) And you know what? One of the clinical signs that you're in a cult is when the leader of the cult tells you to cut off contact with anyone who doesn't do the same things as you. That's a good point. Uh, then there's yeah, the sad story of Hello, which uh, yeah. I kickstarted way back in the day. This was going to yeah. be a Facebook alternative. Andy Bio writing in his waxy links the uh, obituary for Hello. It's over. They, they really. I mean, when I said over, over, they turned off the servers. You're. Yeah, they. What's the business everyone. model? Like, I don't understand. Like, what the business model was. There was no like, business model, as Andy there points out. Model. They, and there, there had to be because they took investment. They took venture capital. Yeah. So he knew there would be something wrong in the long run. In fact, it's amazing they went ten years. Uh, but they did eventually sell to somebody who was going to kind of mine. But secretly. Secretly. They didn't they, tell anybody. They'd structured as a public benefit company, and yeah. then they secretly transferred the assets to a for-profit company. Yeah. Uh, and then they sold that company secretly to another company. Um, and, you know, it, it, it. I think it's a really good example of a theme that's come up many times in our discussion today, which is that it's not that people are bad or good. It's that when they are unconstrained, they can make bad choices. And because they were able to operate in secret, because they they did have the constraint of running out of money because they didn't have a business model, um, they ended up rationalizing a series of bad choices one after another that led to one day, literally people who had been told you will never be the product, you will never be sold, waking up to discover first that their data had all been sold 
and second that it, that it had been deleted right like the the two worst things that can happen to an artist and this was a platform for artists and their portfolios uh and it really shows you that the best of us with the best of intentions are very fallible and that this is why we need external constraint right this is why we need someone to call us on our nonsense and why users need to be able to uh move very easily from one platform to another you know there's this idea in, in economics called a ulysses pact because ulysses you know tied himself to the mast so that when the siren sang he couldn't jump in the sea he knew that he would be weak in the future so while he was strong he bound himself to a, a commitment you know, when you, when you go on a diet and throw away your Oreos, that's a Ulysses pack. When you license your software <laughs> GPL, that's a Ulysses pack because your investors can never make you make it proprietary because it's a perpetual right. license, right? And they could have done all kinds of Ulysses packs, right? They could have published their, uh, their, uh, quarterly books. They could have live streamed their staff meetings. They could have done all kinds of things, you know, that no firm has done to be fair. But, you know, when they when they when Waxy first published and said, hey, these guys have taken some some venture capital. I don't understand how they're going to be able to resist their investors demands for profit. Their response was basically like, we are extra chill dudes and you should just chill out because we're good. Right? Trust us. Everything's going to be fine. Right. Yeah, and maybe works. they believed it. Right. I think lots of people believe that when they're when the moment comes, they'll do the right thing. But the right thing can sometimes feel like, well, I talked 150 of my friends into risking their kids' college funds to come work for my startup. I can let that startup fold next week by standing on principle, or I can live to fight another day by making this compromise. And you do that enough times. And the next thing you know, they're pulling the plug on your server. Yeah. As of uh, July, LO shut down. And if you were a creator that had content on there, apparently some people were foolish enough to Just put stuff. like all well, their stuff there and nowhere else. And uh, I and I think that uh, as someone who's on like pretty much every platform, like a lot of us, um, we're, we're, you know, across those platforms, I really don't care whether they're interoperable or not. Like, and I and I just decided I'm not going to use that one anymore. And I turn and I and I don't really turn it off. I don't throw some big big. Uh, thing but i go to facebook like once a quarter right <laughs> you know i use it for a couple you know i use it to log into my my uh my uh meta my my quest you know like like the, the, those are the things and it's on a phone that i don't use like and i don't like my whole thing about i don't put facebook on my phone i don't do it because i have any kind of privacy issues i have to do it because it drains my battery to the ground like putting facebook uh, apps on your phone meta apps on your phone just are are you know they they literally half your battery life on a, on an iphone and, and the, so it's bloatware as well I mean, the amount yeah, so, of the size so I, of those files is insane. So I go on, you know, I go on to it. I, I have learned that there's a whole generation that only you can only contact into Instagram. Like I, you know, like, like there's, you know, and uh, they, they don't have any. Like, like, I go, can we send email or text? And they're like, really? Uh, like, 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 let's let's talk about that a little bit. And so. Um, but I, you know, so I think that, um, you know, I guess I don't really worry about that. I do think that there is an energy, a lot of energy built up. There's an opportunity for people to build other formats. I don't think this one was it, but I think, I think you do have to know how you're going to make money. Like there, there can't be, um, but I also think that you're going to see something that is a privacy first, that is, you know, lets people build networks that is also most likely bot free, you know, and there's ways to do that, you know, and, and, and um, that just say, Hey, we're not going to, you know, it's going to be like the star Wars thing where we don't let those, you know, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't serve those. And, and I think that there's ways to do that, 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 you know, and it's complicated, but there are ways to get that done. And I think that that's going to build up pressure in the same way that, you know, when I was working at Sony, we constantly brought up the fact that 1699 for a CD is too much money. Like we, I was a rep, you know, for Sony, we were like, 
$16.99 is way too much. It's cost 44 cents to make that CD. And they're like, well, there's the IP. I'm like, well, you're selling the same IP for, for, for cassettes. The cassettes are $6.99. The CDs, you're, you're charging $10 more because it, because you can. Like, you know, the difference between the, the, the hardware, the, the, the cassette was 21 cents. The CD was with the casing and everything else was 44 cents. And they were charging $6.99 and $16.99. And I was like, you're building up, you're building a bad, a bad relationship with your, with your um, consumers and they're not going to care about you when the next thing happens. And sure enough. So what, what happens is these things can, can change very quickly. Like, and we did tests. We did, we took Ned's atomic dustbin and sold it for seven ninety nine, and it went, I mean, it went, went, it went gold, <laughs> like, you know, like it went in a, in a, in a vertical that shouldn't have, you know? And, and so the thing is, is that it worked. The, the issue is that what happens, I think, though, is that eventually this catches up with people, that, that they that the builds up pressure of distrust and dislike. Um, when Napster came out, no one cared. Like, no, like they, they, you know, they had been, they had been screwed for so long that, that no one cared about the industry. No one cared about what it was doing to anybody because they are paying, they knew they were paying way more than it was. And so I think that there, you know, I don't know what that is yet, um, but I think that there are opportunities there will be opportunities to come out that are going to, everyone's going to jump onto something else because, um, because they don't like where they're at, you know? And, and I, and I think that younger folks are much more, my, my, I have kids that are four, you know, are 15 and 16. They're very fluid. Like they're not worried about what's on their network. They're not worried about the fact that they've got a bunch of pictures on Facebook or they did, they never had, <laughs> I wouldn't let them go on Facebook, but, but the, um, but the, uh, but the, the point is, is that, uh, you know, that community doesn't really care about interoperability. They're just going to stop using something and it's just going to become a ghost town. And, you know, and, and they're just going to, you know, they're just going to move on to the next thing. And so I don't know if it, I don't think that's as much of a lock-in for the next generation. What is a lock-in is green bubbles. I will say as a father of teenagers, they're like, oh, that's no, I was asking them about it that. Really sells like, that's iPhones. no joke. That's yeah. no joke. What's well, yeah. 87% of kids under 18 are on, on iPhones. Yeah. And the amount of pressure, you know, that they have to be a, to be a blue bubble is intense. My son, you know, in, I asked my in, son in when he was in a frat at CU Boulder, how many iPhones? He said, all but one. Uh, we're all, all iPhones, but there's this one guy who's using Android and he never gets invited to anything because we don't want to have him on our group chat. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. huge oh, peer pressure. Sake. Huge oh, yeah. peer but, pressure, uh, which is stupid. Uh, but It's true that there's lots of people who don't care until they do. Right. Like, so the first generation of young people who got online who loved LiveJournal and couldn't bring their community with them somewhere else when LiveJournal went to shit are still sad about losing LiveJournal. Yeah. yeah. And there are people who have much more consequential reasons not to leave a platform. So we uh, advised some people at EFF who were uh, a community of breast cancer previvors who had been very actively courted by Facebook when Facebook was trying to encourage the growth of medical communities on their platform. And so they had set up there. And of course, it's really important, these groups to these people. You know, if you're, if you're a breast cancer previvor, which means that you have the gene that means that it's likely you will get breast cancer, it means that not only might you be sick, but you are also very likely to be taking care of a sick relative or grieving for a sick relative, a mother, a sister, a daughter, a grandmother, an aunt. And so this community matters a lot to them. Now, members of the community identified a bug in Facebook that allowed you to enumerate the full membership of any group on Facebook, whether or not you were a member of it. And this was obviously really important to them as a medical group. And they reported it to Facebook and Facebook said, that's not a bug. It's a, it's a um, feature request and we're, we're not going to do it. Because this is actually something that helps us with our ad tech, being able to enumerate groups. And eventually they, they convinced them to do, um, 
uh, a minor lockdown where if you if you joined a group, you could enumerate it. But if you weren't a member of the group, you couldn't enumerate it. Even that was not enough for them. They would like to go somewhere else. The problem is that they have the collective action problem that we've all faced. Right. You go to a con and there's like, you know, 20 of you around the standing around after the closing keynote. You all want to go out for dinner and you can't agree where. Right. And two hours later, you're still arguing about where to go to dinner. Now, multiply that by 200 friends. And some of them are on Facebook because that's where their kids football team plans the carpool. And some are there because that's where their customers are. And some are there because they're migrants or refugees from another country. And it's the only way they stay in touch with the people back home. And you say, okay, everyone, tomorrow we're leaving Facebook and we're going to wherever. Right. Threads, LO, Mastodon, whatever. Right. It's just impossible we tried so to organize uh, our neighborhood of six homes, six families. Right. And we went from door to door and we said, which messenger program would you like to use? And we never, we, there is no group because yeah. there was never any and, agreement. And, next next and door. So here's this group <laughs> yeah, of people no. still stuck oh to Facebook. Gosh. So oh God! No, next door is, is such a fetid oh, hole. Actually, I suggested kind of next door, and it was widely vetoed. Immediately vetoed. So at least well, they're smart enough them. to know better than <laughs> know better than that. No, I mean okay, we have a simple email list on our street. It's just one one guy who is the street coordinator. That's a good idea. Maybe he we sends should do out email. emails. Yeah, you know, it's just right. like. Email's the original the, the meta truck protocol. is coming down to empty the bins today. Yeah. Clear your car off this side. Remember, today. though, it wasn't, big, side today. it wasn't. Some of us have been around long enough to remember when email was siloed. You know, you were on MCI mail or CompuServe and you couldn't talk to one another. Well, yeah. did, 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 have you installed the X500 certificate yet? <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, so I don't know how email got open. And uh, uh, RFC 422, I think. That's yeah, amazing. That was, the story that, is. The story the story is that the person working on it said, um, we'll do the authentication later. We'll ship it now and do the authentication yeah. next year. Yeah. And authentication turned out to be the last 10% that was, you know, 99% of the work, yeah. which they just didn't do. It's yeah. like the uh, the epitome of that Brian Eno aphorism, be the first person to try not doing something that no one else has ever not done before. <laughs> People to try an email system without authentication. Yeah. I mean, Wait a minute, it's, I'm it's, still it's trying worse. to solve that one. Be the first person to not do something that no one else has, no ever, one else not has ever not done before. That's what eBay did, right? It was like the you know auctions without an auctioneer who held things in escrow, and it's what Kickstarter did—the first street performer protocol that didn't have an escrow service. So you got the money before you delivered the thing. So the problem is that you generally can't deliver the thing unless you got the money. So Kickstarter, you know, all the previous versions of that were like. Uh, we're going to hold on to the money until you deliver. And everyone who did it was like, well, I didn't deliver because you didn't give me any money to right. deliver with. Meanwhile, I'm still waiting for the very first thing I ordered on Kickstarter, which was a set of dice. That I, I put money when I put money into the Kickstarter, I always go. It's kind of like a, a little surprise gift for future me. It is. I go. I go. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw. It's like a little lottery, and I throw the money in, and I never put more money into it than I can afford to lose, mm-hmm. and I just throw it in, and then like six months later. A random gift occurs exactly. on, sometimes. I got a piece yeah. of luggage about in the it. mail. I forgot that it existed. I didn't even know. That. I forgot that I even put money into it. And I was like, oh, this is such a great luggage. I had ordered and a piece of luggage that had a built-in battery to charge your phone, which five or six years ago seemed like a really good idea. Got it in the mail. And, of course, you can't bring it that luggage. Fire. You can't. You can't bring it on the plane because you can't one. remove the battery. So yeah, you have to. So, you have to go in there and unscrew it now. Yeah. <laughs> it is a really nice mean, piece. I'm, here's no, I, mean, I, I, I did this. Sorry, the, the guy who did Beeper created the Pebble Watch. Right. 
Oh, yeah. the, the, the one of the most successful yeah, Eric Kickstarter Mc, ever Mc, in Mc, the first place yeah, of yeah. smartwatches. Also, uh, as someone who's run a bunch of Kickstarters in the last couple of years, please, 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 if you back a Kickstarter, go and fill in your survey. I am mm-hmm. like every week getting things like, oh, you've just got another order for a book that you sold someone two years ago and they finally filled in your survey and you got to find a copy of the book and sign it and bring it to the post office for them. Well, this happens I, to me all the time. Fill in I, your survey. I, I can never see the survey emails. It goes somewhere. I don't know where. Yeah, I know. I know. Hole. It's, it's a real problem. They should do the surveys in advance and then uh, like at purchase time and then give you the option of amending it. Yeah. And if you don't amend it, I, it just gets fulfilled to your, to your default one because this, this, um, Come back later and fill in a survey. Notice an email. Come back later and fill in a survey is a real Achilles heel. You know, I, yeah. I, I really I mean, feel like they're. I know that they have interface teams, but they really need to take it more seriously. I am. I am struck mm-hmm. by, and I talk about this all the time uh, with with other folks that are doing design of how important it is to really think about how the interface is going to drive behavior, and and if you create any little lip. You know, like any little lip, you can lose huge amounts of people because you just made it. You, you created some little glitch that didn't like we've had problems where when you click on the button, it took an extra two seconds to for it to respond. Like the Web page didn't mm-hmm. respond for two seconds. It crashed our servers. Why did it crash our servers? Oh, because people just kept on hitting the button. Like so suddenly every person was hitting the button 40 times instead of once. And it was, and when we took that out, everything worked again. I'm sorry, I'm filling out a survey from something I bought three years See, ago, and go. I forgot to Our fill out the exactly. Thank you, Leo. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thank you. I, realized, of every Kickstarter I, I really wanted that book, uh, Corey, and I just completely, uh, completely forgot. Uh, let's take a little break. Uh, we'll come back with more in just a little bit. Microsoft has just announced that, yeah, our executives' email was hacked, but don't worry, you're don't safe. Get me started. You're <laughs> safe. Don't worry. Our show today brought to you by ZipRecruiter. According to Forbes, January is the hottest month for hiring. Who knew? I didn't know that. And business owners and hiring managers are right now on the hunt for top talent. But in this market, it's not easy. If you're currently hiring, I know you can relate to this. We've gone through it. It's challenging to find qualified candidates. And then when you do find a qualified candidate, you're competing against 20 other companies that are trying to hire them. That's why you need ZipRecruiter. That's exactly why you need ZipRecruiter. Their powerful matching technology finds the right people for your roles fast. And then you invite them, which puts you right to the top of the stack because they're saying, oh, well, these guys like me. I'm going to apply there. Right now, you can try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. After you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology shows you candidates whose skills and experience match and then to encourage those good candidates to apply ZipRecruiter lets you send them a personal invite this really works you know you are yes it's competitive good people have a lot of offers but if you invite them personally man i can tell you from experience it really works as you rate candidates ZipRecruiter sends you more of the ones you like from thousands of new job seekers who join the site this algorithm is so smart this month Find the talent you need to fill all your roles with ZipRecruiter. See for yourself why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to our exclusive web address right now, ZipRecruiter. Get it for free, ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. Please use that address. We want them to know you saw it here. ZipRecruiter.com slash T-W-I-T. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now, we do have a little movie we made 
Benito has just run out of the room. Maybe he's going to get the uh, get the the reel. Can you thread the projector quickly and play that little movie with some of the best things that happened this week on Twit? We have a superstar amongst us now. You saw him last week testifying for the United States Senate. You didn't play any of my testimony. You got no, bored. No, we did. I didn't hear it. Oh, on the maybe that was before the show. Then, yeah. Thank you Five very much. Minutes. I put on. Yeah, a no, because it was quite. It was quite eloquent. This is what happens when you leave us, Jet. Previously on Twit. Twit News. With Galaxy AI, S24 series is the device that brings to light your vision of a better tomorrow. Language can be a barrier. We're thrilled to offer a solution by providing real-time voice translation <laughs> that was a while edit. you're on a call. <laughs> that's oh, that's cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. Security we did not now. say that. We're they actually going to rock everyone's world. Oh, and I'm not kidding. By examining and mostly understanding what Google has been up to for the past three years, why it is going to truly change everything we know about the way advertisements are served to web browser users and what it all means for the future. This Week in Google. Have you gone to the GPT store and have you gotten all of the AI girlfriends that are available? <laughs> are there AI girlfriends? Oh, apparently they're lots. not supposed to be there, but there's oh. a lot of them. Here's one. I'm Jessica, your ex-girlfriend you never shared any interests with. Here's <laughs> Maria. That sounds, somebody's having issues and they're working through them. Twit. For help with the technology addiction problem, call 1-800-TWIT. What should I ask your virtual boyfriend? I'm doing a podcast. What do you think about it? That's fantastic, sweetheart. I'm sure you'll be amazing at it. What's your <laughs> podcast about? Oh, you. <laughs> about two hours. He cares long. so much. I, we had a lot of fun with that virtual boyfriend, I must say. And even though uh, OpenAI says you, there are no virtual girlfriends on ChatGPT, there are hundreds <laughs> in the GPT store. I don't know. They're not doing much to block it. And you know, why should they? If you want an AI girlfriend, go for it. Or boyfriend, uh, live it up. Go for it. Um, Microsoft, they, they made the announcement, which, you know, credit to them. Uh, they say Microsoft senior leadership emails were ac accessed by a nation state. They think the same Russian hackers that did solar winds, which was devastating. Um, Nobelium. And <laughs> I got to read this. Beginning in late November 23, the threat actor used a password spray attack. Whatever that is to compromise a legacy non-production test tenant account and by the way by doing so gain a foothold to access a very small percentage of microsoft's corporal corporate email accounts including members of our senior leadership team and employees in our cybersecurity, legal and other functions and exfiltrated some emails and attached documents <laughs> Well, no, I mean, when they're saying they targeted a very small number yeah, of our executive team. The exact people they Chinese wanted. military parade of red flags. Yes. Because that's what they were after. And by the way, they said, oh, don't worry. As far as we can tell, no customer the accounts have been attacked. The attack, this is again another quote, was not the result of a vulnerability in Microsoft's products or services. To, no, to this day, there's no evidence that a threat actor had any to customer environments, production systems, source codes, or AI systems. But let me go back to how they got in. 
a password spray attack to compromise a legacy non-production test tenant account, which apparently had permissions to access all of Microsoft's internal emails. <laughs> There's yeah. something really Perfect. wrong Everything's with this picture. Fine. It's fine. You're okay. Don't worry. Wow. This it's just, I mean, when, when you're going after that tight a level of Microsoft management, that isn't just like, oh, yeah, we had a slight vulnerability. This was a serious hacking attempt. It's as bad and, as it can get. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when mean, they say a spray password attack, I guess that means they just tried passwords till one worked. But why is there some, some server sitting oh, on the public network legacy non-production test tenant account that has access to all of the corporate emails why is that just sitting in the public uh, sitting there because someone forgot about it yes. i mean like a lot of the yeah. things are like so someone dumb. someone has some machine and this again is why you know a lot of us you know that use apple products don't want people to like hack into it from some other area because we just don't think we just don't think they're going to take even even apple well, just true. having one company manage it yeah having anybody else manage safety i mean this is microsoft this is their executives and they still can't keep it closed you know and so i mean the nsa couldn't keep their stuff closed and this is what they do that's right you know and so 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 i think you always have to worry about every new person that's connected to you every new company is a threat you know and 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 <laughs> this is but i'm sure that it was a computer that no one has looked at for many many years uh, it's been sitting around no one's doing anything with it and it somehow was bridged somewhere and and monkey123 um, was, was the to, password, and, yeah, you know, it, was, it wasn't secured, and uh, the rest well, is... It's, it's, this yeah. is the great paradox of, of um, you know, large and small firms, that large firms are so big that it's impossible to know for sure all the things they're doing, and they have so many moving parts that you can never fully audit them, and then small firms don't have the resources right. to guard yeah. all of their the, their perimeters, and so you, you, you either way, you get you get some kind of unavoidable problems. I've just put something in the doc, one of the most remarkable order, art, articles I'd ever read uh, from Wired about Amazon's, um, it, uh, it was from 2021, about Amazon's failure to protect user data. So Amazon, in order to like move fast and break things, had no internal controls on their data. And literally any team could clone the entire Amazon database. Oh, they had no auditing and they had no census of... Uh, who was using what and how many copies have been made. They had all kinds of insider threats. They had people selling data to rival vendors. They, they had just, it was just crazy, but it was like they didn't want to get in the way of developing teams. And uh, they could not hire a CSO because every CSO they hired said, stop doing that. And they were like, <laughs> that's the thing you're not allowed to tell us. <laughs> they, 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 um, promoted a guy from within who was by his own admission not qualified to do it but he was someone who was willing to take as the kind of first principle that there should be unlimited replication of amazon's uh entire data set uh with no auditing and um no uh no forensics move fast and, and let and others break into your crisis things. yeah wow uh, and the and the, the I mean the graph on Facebook when we were doing backends for you know Q and A because I do a lot of Q and A stuff um, the, the backend for until Cambridge Analytica was pretty amazing. The reason that our system was a, is now able to handle so many questions coming in was because you could point it at any Facebook event and you just go uh, that one. 
and it would just suck all of the questions and all of the, th- like every comment in the whole thing out of it. And we could say, oh, this broke, this broke, this broke, this broke. And now we threw it away because we were like, I don't want that data around. But obviously Cambridge Analytica just pointed at it and then kept it. Um, and then, then Facebook, of course, closed that all up. <laughs> so I mean, they've like, got away with the Cambridge more. Analytica thing pretty much by saying, yeah, okay, it was a slight problem. Get it was wide it. open. We're not going to deal with it. And you're just like, no, this is a massive issue. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 much closed. It's much more closed down now. But again, these these are all. It it gets inconvenient. It's inconvenient to to lock the door every time you go in and out of it. But it might be useful. You know, like you know, at some point, yeah. someone's going to try to go down the street and check everybody's door and go into the one that's opened. And that's what that's what happens. And a lot of these hacking. I mean, that's the thing that. Like email, like the thing that I, I have to do all the time is someone like you, I have kids in school. So you have teachers, you have other administrators and you have other parents that will send out these big emails to everyone. And I'm like, hey, that's like um, sneezing in the middle of a class, you know, like when you have COVID. And like, like, I just I just want to make sure you're clear, like you're just you're just putting us all in the same room where we all can get something, you know, from what you're doing there. You got to stop. You know, so I, I'm nice about it, but it's always like blind CC is a good thing. Like there's a reason it's there and you should use it. Um, mm-hmm. And. And I think that that is, uh, um, I think that all of us are so, you know, because it's just not convenient. It's not convenient to lock your door all the time. It's not convenient. It's not convenient to do these things. And you're trying to move fast and everybody's trying to make, especially at Amazon, I, the pressure to perform at Amazon, from my understanding, is intense. You know, like, no, it's not I mean, a, it's, it, it, I, I don't mean, ever, I've no one ever said people, it's a People at Amazon and they're just like, this is the possibly the worst working atmosphere we've ever had to deal what, with. What did the whistleblower <laughs> say? There were people crying at their desks. That that was kind well, of yeah. SOP. That yeah. was normal. That executives would just sit at their desk going. <laughs> so so speaking of speaking of door locks being inconvenient, you've reminded me the first piece of technology that I've bought in a long time that I was really excited about is my new door lock. Yay! Uh, What'd you we, get? We went on. So we went on vacation and we stayed in a house that had a touch pad door lock. And I was like, this has to be insecure, but it's so convenient. So I wrote to Deviant Alam, who runs the lock picking village at DEF CON. I'm like, do they all suck? And he was like, they all suck except for the Schlage or Schlage. Schlage. Yeah, Schlage. FE595, which we bought and installed because uh, I work in the garage and then the house is on the other side. And my wife plays games with giant uh, noise canceling headphones. And one time someone just walked in. Uh, and she didn't know he was there until she turned around. It was really scary. So she wants that door locked, but I want to be able to run in and out when, you know, like if we're recording and then you call a break, I want to go get a glass of water. So now we have a push button door lock and it's amazing. I hope you got it with the Camelot trim. Oh no, we just got the, uh, (laughs) we just got the matte black, got the very boring matte black, but oh my God, it's really good. And it's easy to program. And we had it rekeyed. So it matches our, our existing. You know what I love about the, the idea of this is that you could send the key to somebody temporarily like, okay, you need to get in there and service something. This key is good for 12 hours. You know, so on on Deviant Alums, oh, and it doesn't have any connectivity. There's no Wi-Fi. There's oh, no NFC. Good. There's yeah. no Bluetooth. And on Deviant Alums advice, what I did was I got it. I generated 20 codes for it, and I programmed them all in. And then I have they're in our uh, family shared password smart. store. And if someone's coming over, we just give them a password, and then when they leave, I delete it. You can delete the code. I mean, I mean, Deviant is is, is the you know the, the the bog standard on this, as it were. But one of the interesting things from the DefCon talk on Bluetooth locks. They they tested twelve Bluetooth locks. Mm-hmm. Okay, eleven of them were transmitting uh, password keywords yeah. completely unencrypted. Oh lord! And the one one that was 
was so badly made you could open it with a screwdriver. You know, it, it's just, it's insanity. But can this I point out, locks are really just a suggestion anyway. They're just sure. society's way of saying, yeah, we would prefer you don't kick this door down and come inside. But if anybody wants to come in, they can come in. But there are firm suggestions and soft suggestions. And, and you know, all of, all of us pretty good about this. Um, if you've ever read the original Wirecutter article on bike locks, which is like a 15,000 word uh, oral history of the guy who stole the reporter's bike, explaining how he did it and how he steals bikes. It's fantastic. Yeah, the the um, you know, where I grew up, no one locked their doors. Like there just there was just not a lot of doors getting locked. But they did oftentimes have signs out that said, "Are you, are you faster than a speeding bullet? Trespass here, and you'll find out." You know, like you know, and, and well, that's probably you know, more and, and effective was, than any lock. There wasn't a lot of locks. It was just like you Is know, forget a, the dog, you just beware of owner. Me you know, a, a lock pick kit. Aren't these illegal? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. No. I have, I have. I have a couple. It's of them. a project yeah, tool. I, I, I bought a couple of DefCons. So yeah, yeah. and then Burke has actually Burke has actually etched his initials into it. So plausible deniability. Burke is is completely gone. The, the only the only place I've ever had my, like I've taken lockpicks to Singapore. The only place I've ever had my lockpicks taken away is Melbourne Airport, and literally only Melbourne Airport. And every single time I go through Melbourne Airport, and they take everything. They take uh, my my little screwdriver that came with my my. Uh, um, my framework laptop they took this little tip they took just that and said you can't have that that's a threat to aviation um it's amazing no i mean it's, it's kind of like when i was at schmookon and they um one of the companies gave away like one of those swiss army cards right with, like a cutting point on oh yeah the rest i love of those it. yeah yeah the amount of people that got pulled over on that at washington airport <laughs> absolutely amazing i managed to get away with it but you know i got i had a, like one of those little micro leathermans you know the little yeah, micro oh, yeah. yeah and i was i was flying from harare to victoria falls and i and i and i told the guy i was like oh this was given to me by a friend can i just leave it with you and i'll come back and get it you know i was trying to you know negotiate and he's like schmooze him he looked at it and he just finally said here you can take it he goes but don't do anything bad with it <laughs> Now that's like, that's what I like. Just don't do it. Just don't do anything but, bad, please. Yeah. So, I mean, the the, the classic for that was GDC in what 2013, where they gave out literally two years after September 11th, they gave out laser pointers in bullets. You know, so it was a oh, bullet wow. mortified. Well, and gave that to journalists. And well, we have we like, have ones we have ones that you you when you want to drop a mic cable down someone's back. It's, right. uh, you need a weight. Yeah. And they have one called the, the mic bullet and it, and it, you, you plug your TA three or TA four into it and you yeah. drop some, and just a weight and it just it looks some. like a bullet. It looks like they thought it was funny and they made it look like a bullet. And I'm like, I can't take it anywhere. I no. can't Good fly God. with this thing because yeah. it says bullet on the outside and they don't know that it's, a, I'm trying to explain to they them. They should like, rename oh, it the Alec Baldwin and then they'll be, uh, yeah, it's just, oh, what nah, did you, oh, yeah, that, too, too soon, soon, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what did you just go the, get Corey? Corey just reached okay, up to Okay. I'm trying to get it to turn on because it's been dead for a long time. This is a countdown clock. That counts how many people are estimated to be connected to the internet as of today. Mm-hmm. And it was the speaker gift for keynote speakers at the dot SE registry it in looks Stockholm. Exactly and like a bomb. And it, it's like a Perspex bomb. Yeah, it's, it's just <laughs> terrific. And I flew home to, to Heathrow with it. Uh, I think if I'd been flying out of Heathrow with it, they would have taken away because they're giant dicks. The Swedes were very chill. 
Uh, oh yeah, that's we, that's the internet countdown. No, we've seen that. That's okay. Bring it I on in. Turn it on because it's really cool. It's been unplugged for so long, um, and I think maybe it just that it's got a little battery that might need to charge. Built by Richard uh, Rickard Diestrad. I love Diestrad. that. Diestrad. You should charge it and see it's if it's really accurate. Cool. Yeah. I, I well, do think it, what I'll do is I'll get the number off of it and then I'll run around and count all the people on the internet. I'm, and sure, I'll tell it's, I'm sure it's vastly underestimating the actual number by this time. Right? It has an Ethernet port, which I'd forgotten. Oh. I don't remember what that oh, does. Oh, so it can check. It actually I mean, goes out and it's counts. It's a little raspy. It's got an HDMI out as well. Oh, yeah. You can put it on a, on a screen. Oh, here it is. It's it's lit up. There it is. There he is. There are wow, 48. Okay. It's going up. Oh, my word. Is that billions? Wait a minute. One, two, three, four, five, six, no, no, 13. It's, it's, oh, no. Hang on. It's gone. 401 billion, 356 million, 206. I don't know what it is. There's I, it's I don't know either. It can't be 40 billion. There's only seven. It must be 401 it's million. It's wrong. There's 8 billion people. All right. They it's a nice display, keeps going up, it, it, John. It's something moving in the background. Among linguists, the word of the year is more than a vibe. The American Dialect Society has selected a term, the word of the year for 2024. What is it? Enchidification. And it's great because this is like the second or third time the Times has mentioned enchidification, but the first two times they called it things like empoopification. But but because they were reporting, it wasn't in the editorial page. Was reporting? Yeah, they they called it enshirtification. I think great. it's okay. So we we debated. We've been calling it enshirtification for a while. Oh, very good. Yeah, but but then I realized it's not the S word. It's you know, I mean, it'd be as silly, you know, just because a word has a word in it, like Scunthorpe. Yeah, or shiitake. <laughs> shiitake. Like yeah, shiitake. that one or, really caused some problems. It's in shiitake. So enshirtification. It's not what you think it is. Um, it's kind of what you think it is. <laughs> it's just a dirty little infix. Um, yeah, this, I, it's, this American Dialect Society though picks. It's not like the Oxford English Dictionary Word of the Year. Yeah, it is. It is more like a slangy kind of a thing, and it's fun. Like, yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, there, congratulations. I, I, it was terrific. And it took me a couple of days. At first, I kept calling them the Internet Dialectical Society, which sounds like Marxist. <laughs> yes. No, but, uh, it's not that. <laughs> they've considered your thesis and your antithesis, and they've synthesized <laughs> it, and this is your prize in shitification. And they call this the WOTI, the word of the year. So congratulations yeah, for your WOTI. Uh, that's a very I just high finished honor. the book proposal. It's, uh, it's with my agent. There's, there's three publishers. Do you have a name in for it? it? So, in shitification. Oh, there you go. Or call you it. could call it, it impoof, impoopification. Impoopification, no. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. America should grow up about this sort of thing. You know, call it what it's it fu- is. It's funny because I, I can't call it that on NPR. I've done like three interviews about really? it on NPR. They but you? on Well, because of the FCC rules. But the um, the uh, CBC, no problem. Can you read a radio and tell Can you say shiitake on NPR? Ask the FCC. I, I mean, you a had bizarre, a broadcast program. I think, I think got that, a radio that, I think background. I think they'd be okay if you said shiitake mushrooms, but if you said holy shiitake, I think they might. No, that's fine. And I think more. it's shitification. It's it, uh, it's inside another larger non 
controversial no, it's, word. It's, it's a good general term. I mean, yeah. as a Brit who's over here who's got away with saying wanker on public air, then yeah, you I say mean, it I'm a lot. By it. the way, you say it far too often. I just want to point. Oh that out. no, come on! It's a perfectly good descriptive <laughs> noun. But, I mean, just don't ask what time, it means. Entitification is as well. Because it describes a a a really massive problem we've got to deal with. Good. I can't wait to read the book. I hope you'll come on before then. Uh, You do have a chance to see Corey speak in person uh, on January 22nd. Tomorrow, if you are in In Coral Gables. Oh, you're going to go where it's warm. You're not there now. I'm going where it's warm. I'm I'm going to Ron DeSantis country. Uh, Will he allow uh, you to even talk about your books? I bet your books are banned in many libraries. I don't know. Miami's pretty heavy. In fact, the only place I've ever had a book banned was Florida. Uh, Booker T. Washington High in Pensacola uh, canceled their entire summer reading program to stop their kids from reading my book and tried to fire the teacher. Which one? Which one? uh, Little brother. Little brother. Yeah. Good Lord. I'm so sorry. That's so ridiculous. insane. Lots of people have have it worse with their books. What did they Uh, object to? He had never read it. He had never read it. He heard some things about it. And said he thought maybe the families would object, and he never read it. And then oh, he unilaterally sorry. canceled the whole summer reading program and ignored his own uh, procedures that he was required to follow, which is why eventually that teacher was not fired. Uh, but the summer reading program is gone forever. And so uh, we did send 200 copies of the book to the school. Uh, and this company, um, I forget what they're called, but there's a company that does like T-shirts and posters where they make posters out of the word art of a whole book. Oh, cool. Uh, so. And and so we sent them a frame poster for their library. And then I also, any kid who wanted an ebook of it, I PGP signed ebooks for them and sent Aww. them to them. So they had signed ebooks uh, along with a Good little tutorial job. on PGP. Good for you. Well, let's yeah, hope cool. this doesn't happen to insuretification, although. No, I'm, I'm sure it'll might. be fine. <laughs> well, here's the deal. The bezel is out and is is legal in all 50 states. And if you want the audiobook version, go to Kickstarter and sign up. Look at look at the price. The backers is going up even as we speak. Uh, nine good. days to go to get this audiobook. I got to tell you, these Martin, the first Martin Hench book was incredible. I really enjoyed it. I read it to Lisa, who is a CFO. So she uh, well, she yeah. really enjoyed a forensic accountant right. being the hero of your story. It's it really reminded great. me of Charlie Stross with the you know the the, the diaries there. Yeah. you've got an IT administrator who is actually you know doing really weird stuff. Yeah, I, Cthulhu, say, Cthulhu IT administrator. <laughs> yeah. Like it's Red Team Blues. The new one is The Bezel, and it's on Kickstarter if you want. I always get the audiobooks because I, I prefer to uh, listen. Will's so good. We had yeah, such a good time a good reading job. this. He did great. He's so cute. And, of course, you'll find Corey at Pluralistic.net. That's where his blog is, although I follow you on Mastodon, and you always post uh, your uh, clips from your blog up there on Mastodon, so that's a good yep. follow. He's Pluralistic on uh, Mastodon. Thank you for being here, Corey. Have a great trip to Florida. Are you going to come right home after that, or are you going to spend some yeah, time? Yeah, leaving at 4 a.m. tomorrow, aish, and aish. then I get back on Wednesday, and then on Thursday I fly to Berlin. For the Marshall uh, McLuhan Lecture. For the McLuhan Lectures. And if you're in Berlin, uh, they've just added another night at Otherland Books because uh, the first one sold out. So wow. there's there's at least some tickets left right now if you go to Otherland Books. Great. Yeah. And it does specifically say no streaming. So you you must no be streaming. there. No streaming for humans yeah, only. Wouldn't approve. <laughs> Marshall McLuhan would not like that one. God no, he hated media. <laughs> right. Media schmedia. 
Yeah, I think that's his you know famous quote. My work. <laughs> you know nothing. Uh, Mr. Uh, Ian Tom Thomas Thompson. Ian Thompson. Oh my word. Terry okay. Thomas. Ian Thompson. <laughs> Without the mustache, you're really no longer uh, Terry Thomas. You're Ian Thompson. Yeah. No, I, I lost the the, the porn mustache, but yeah, the um, it was an interesting area of life. I liked it. I think yeah. you should bring it back personally, but that's just me. It's uh, a pain in the ass to deal with. Oh, I know. Be clipping it the whole day. I know. I know. TheRegister.com. Ian, is there anything you want to plug? Um, I'm keeping an eye on the moon at the moment. Um, JAXA soft-landed a, a probe on the moon on Friday. It's looking pretty grim, but hey, I, I'm, an, I'm a huge fan of getting out there and, you know, going out into new areas. So we'll see. Were you disappointed? Um, uh, that's the Japanese space agency. Were you disappointed that the private a space contractor whose Peregrine Peregrine was going to contain or did contain ashes yeah. from Arthur C. Clarke, Gene Roddenberry, and, and it's burnt up in the in, burnt in the up Earth's in the atmosphere. atmosphere. Yeah, which honestly I can't help feeling Arthur C. Clarke would have approved of. Um, but at the same time, yeah, no, I understand. Well, part um, of it apparently, some of the ashes were in the fairing, which did get pushed out and is going to keep going. So maybe he's going in to boldly go where no oh, ashes have gone that. before. My yeah. understanding was the entire craft was coming back into the UK. Uh, sorry, uh, back into the UK. <laughs> back into the world. It's, it's headed back to the UK, but it will burn up before it gets there, I promise. The UK is the world. <laughs> yes, that's say. right. But no, that's right. <laughs> but uh, no I mean, it was, it was kind of nice they got them out there, but space is hard. You it know? is hard. I mean, yeah. it's... Japan has learned the hard way, and we we'll we'll get better at it. Yeah, the uh, slim probe touched down, uh, but the solar panels aren't. I did yet get to do the the real slim shady is shady uh, <laughs> headline, but <yeah. laughs> uh, there's sun, but there's just no panels to collect it. Okay. Yeah, they'll get there. Yeah, I yeah I agree with you. I think more the moon should be probed more often. Ah, we need to get out there. But That's what she said. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Corey. Uh, thank you, Mr. <laughs> Alex Lindsay. Officehours.global, even on a Sunday. Yes. Yes. We were, that's what, I didn't even know about that, that translation thing. We were in, it was in our morning session. It's amazing. Uh, so we do that every, every day, seven days a week. We did, we had Colleen Henry on. Um, oh, I got to watch that. Uh, our, so for, our chief engineer. She's the woman who really built yeah, the. She, stuff that we do yeah if you i think you go to the youtube channel because it's not in the normal schedule like so we did a special oh. with colleen um and uh if you go to youtube slash office hours global uh it was a, just a special with the two of us talking about um compression you know how to how, how streaming works and uh colleen if you don't know what she does now she's she She's kind of the, her invisible hand is touching pretty much every part of live streaming on the web for every company, uh, you know, so she's kind of the invisible force behind a lot of that stuff. And so she talked a little bit uh, and answered a bunch of questions for our audience. And so it's a pretty, pretty great. There session. she is. She learned, she started it here. Hi, um, uh, she was an, an in, well, she, she applied to be an intern here. She was still at San Jose State learning sociology, getting her degree in sociology. And uh, she, I talked to her for five minutes, and I said, "I'm not going to hire you as an intern, but would you like to work for us?" And she built Skyposaurus. She built our first yeah. video rig. She did so many amazing things, and gosh, she looks great. It's so nice to see. Yeah. I will be watching this. I can't wait to see it. She's really a good. superstar. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad you did that. And officetowers.global, Monday through Sunday is the place to go to uh, learn more about everything. Including <laughs> video production, media, but, but, but cooking, we talk about a little anything. bit of everything. Yeah, everything. But yeah, yeah, we live stream from 7 to 9 Pacific Standard Time every single day. Um, it's a small village of Honestly, about 20 people that it takes to turn it on. So it's... You're, to me, this is like the future of media, you know, especially as we struggle with traditional podcasting, which is show-based and advertising-based. Mm -hmm. And more and more, I look at what you're doing and think, you know, that the future of Twit, three or four years from now, maybe is that kind of thing inside our, our club. And, and uh, I, I think the, it's a great idea. I love it. The, the two things that work is that, A, we built a system that allows to have a lot more people in the panel. So what that means is that... You How have, big really is your box? Uh, we get up to 16, 16 people. It's really amazing, um, yeah. But there's a system on the back end that lets us cue them and that let them raise their hands and everything else. And then the other thing is it's just Q&A. It's much easier to program for when it's just like, hey, what questions do you have? And then... And then, you know, the Q&A system that we built is pretty useful. So, it, so it, it allows people to ask questions, vote on questions. We, have, we can manage them on the back end. And then that Q&A system actually drives the video system. So when we say, oh, we're going to answer this question, it actually goes and grabs the people that said they were going to answer it and then puts them up automatically. And so it's, it's a little bit um, – so that it, it does make it – we do hope that more people will do it. We publish, like, how we do it. It's kind of open. It's oh, we'll do it. I will do source, it. I volunteer. Format. You can okay, help me. We'll, we'll talk about it. Let's, yeah. let's figure this out. Yeah, I yeah, think it's – I think it's – Kind of something our audience would uh, really like. I think that I think it'd be really fun to get a bunch of us together just answering questions. Well, we have and, a community. Um, I mean, that's the thing. Any good podcast has a community. That's about community. We'll build you. I'll build you an instance, Leo. Would you? Thank you. For free. It. For free. Alex will be back on Tuesday for Vision Pro Weekly, our new show on Twit. <laughs> it was Mac Break Weekly, but I have a feeling for the next few weeks <laughs> it's going to be kind of dominated by uh, Vision Pro Talk. And you will have uh, one a week from Friday. 40 years of the Mac, there's going to be stuff to talk about. But yeah. yeah. yeah you know, I am a Vision Pro, complete Vision Pro skeptic. I call it Tim Cook's folly. I think it's nuts. But, I think uh, we just won't know. I mean, we're we're in year ten of a twenty-year rollout, and so, no, I understand. so we don't know. You know I understand where, it. where I, it's going to go. You know, I I bought an iPhone in the early days when it was kind of barely functional, um, but but I liken this to uh, buying a car with square wheels because they say someday it'll have round wheels and then you'll really love it. I'm going to wait to the round wheels. Thank you very much. This is not the one. It's for me. very strange though that Apple has you know made a career out of taking technology people have developed and then making it much, much better. I'm not quite sure about Vision Pro on this one. Because, it did that you know, when like Steve the, Jobs was there. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, there's a limit to how much you can polish a turd. Yeah, and I, I, I will say, though, that most people, I, I've had the the benefit of, of looking at non-production versions of VR. Mm -hmm. And when you get to a certain frame rate and resolution, it's pretty amazing. Oh, I'm and sure no it'll be breathtaking. And I just meta, doubt that meta, anybody's no, no, going to want to do this. I'm saying that this one isn't it either, yeah. but I'm saying that when you reach a certain resolution per eye and when you reach a certain frame rate, the quality of the experience, it's not, it, it doesn't go like this in the, in that frame rate. It goes, it goes, oh, it's really, really good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, you know, it just, There's you know. And, and if they can get and, the and, frame rate and the eye tracking thing sorted, I'm uh, it's, with it. But. This first version, I think, will be a step further along in that area, and it costs that much to do it. The, the ones that are non-production versions that I've okay. put on are quarter million dollars. You know, like, they're not. And But at, at 8K per eye, 120 frames a second, 
it is an entirely different world. Like it is, it is like literally something it's hard I to will, imagine. I so as soon as they people put those like me who are excited, it's because it, I will be there. I will be right there. I think that what Apple is going to be real, it's going to be really interesting is to, is to see how very basic things work in there. Um, and, and the people that I've talked to that have had them on, of course I haven't put them on until for another week and a half um, are pretty, uh, pretty impressed except for the weight. <laughs> like that's what everyone, everyone talks about it's like oh, there's a lot of except really amazing yeah Corey, are you well, uh, are you a fan of ar or vr well like i say i'm i'm too astigmatic for it but what i was going to mention earlier is that um as soon as i can take a month off touring which will probably be at this rate 2026 i'm going to get both my eyes fixed because i have oh. uh cataracts oh, and nice. when they fix your cataracts you can get 3d printed lenses that fix your astigmatism right. and give you 2020 right. with built-in uh bifocals oh and so wow. for the first time since like the age of nine uh, this is what i'm going to look like Corey. Oh, when wow. you do that Absolutely. i'm going to watch and if you don't go blind and you can still drive a car at night i might do the same because I mean, I can barely drive a car at night now. I get yeah. halos and stuff from yeah. the cataracts, so I'm really looking how, forward to it, I'm to be honest. I'm very curious how my, how my, my, my wife says there. empty frames. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. It's like just glass frames. There, you know, the, um, Yeah, because it is I'm your very, trademark, isn't it, Corey? You kind of have those, you know, that's the, I, you've always had those black frames, yeah. The, uh, I'm very curious how the bifocal contacts will, or the bifocal lenses will work in a VR experience because yeah. you're you're seeing the yes, whole thing. That's going to be down. huge. I think you that could be a really complicated. You don't need progressive lenses if everything is visible, right? Or do you? I understand that. Yeah, but, but I mean, my left eye is like the size of a rugby ball. You know, it's that badly. You know, and I've tried using these things, and if your your eyesight is bad, then you know, it's going to have to be addressed. So this should sell as well as, let's say, an F F sixteen fighter. <laughs> well, they've already. Well, I mean, if if the rumors are of of the of the sales numbers have hit, they've already made three billion dollars. Wow, mean, it's not a profit, but they've already generated three billion dollars of revenue from. They the first sold out the weekend. first tranche, right? Which was yeah, what we think a hundred thousand. We think it's eighty thousand. Eighty thousand. The number is okay. yeah, and so so that number already already you know that already went out because the we know that because the first trench was we think was eighty thousand and the and they're already moving the date so the date is so as soon as the date moves no you know i think you actually get cannot is un, unavailable at this point i uh, i haven't tried is it? it but the no, problem is in I, order I, to try I, it you have to scan your face you, you have to do this whole exactly. you have to go through the whole process to find out you can't you have to you need an iphone to order the you can't right. go to the website and buy it you need an iphone yeah. to measure your face right. to get in to do the thing. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I went through the whole thing. I got up because I was on the East Coast. At least it was 8 a.m. I go, went through the whole thing. And uh, right at the point, I was like, shall I do it? And right at the point where you do it, I uh, I said, yes, screw it. I'm not going to do this. I'm not. I'm I not. just started on my iPhone. <laughs> like I was like, I was like, I bet you this is because the, 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 the for those of us who buy a lot of things at 5 a.m. on when Apple releases it. The iPhone is way faster. The website breaks because there's so many people ordering at the same this time. This was not a problem. The app this time through the website yeah. did not break i gotta tell you no no i think this is this is a hundredth of the of a iphone demand yeah like it you know it's it's a tiny uh tiny little thing okay i'm so. doing the scans right now i'll let you all go thank you very much okay appreciate it Corey. Okay. have a great trip hey. to miami nice to see you yeah hey. thank Look you after. thank you hey, Corey. Ian. i Corey, i just want to tell you i didn't need to put this on the show but i i the um Fun thing about forensics, you know, with, uh, you know, for, uh, with data, you know, you know, have you heard of Pittsburgh plate glass, uh, PPG, no. uh, Pittsburgh plate glass, they make Pittsburgh paints and they make oh, pretty PPG. much PPG, I have PPG uh, yeah. windshields. Yeah. 
Yeah, windshields and all the plate glass for pretty much every sky rise in the United States and blah, blah, blah. They, they did, they've done okay. And, um, but back in uh, about 100 years ago, their lead chemist quit took mm-hmm. and took all of the, he, he took all the formulas for the glass. Right. Oh, for right. the IP, okay. And their the accountant. IP. Their accountant took his orders and rebuilt the. He they took. He, he was very precise about his ordering, so they they were able to to use all the data of all the orders to to figure out what the what the mix was for the glass. And oh, them, they, you know because he was you know all his orders and everything else. So they had to go through you know in, in this case it wouldn't be spreadsheets it would be ledger, ledgers and, right and figuring all those things out and um and got the uh, yeah that's um, good competitive intelligence work. Yeah, it was that's it was, great well I, I went to a funeral this uh last year with uh, my father and um uh, our great great uncle set up the first electric taxi firm in london yeah. in 1897 yeah. wow and i've i've got a i've got one hell of an article preparing preparing on this but you know it's like it makes elon musk look like a piker (laughs) by the way if you order today i went through the process march 4th availability month so it has moved a month but it's still there still available and uh you can go through the website pretty quick thank you Corey. really texting demanding get out of here get out of here thank you Corey. all right thank you ian thank you alex thanks to all of you for joining us we do Fantastic tw- to see you all. It was really a fun show. Thank you, Ian. Take care. It was. We do Jeez. Twit every Sunday, about 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2200 UTC. If you like to watch the shows live, we do provide a live stream of us making the show. It's not the final show, but the making of the show at uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash twit. Uh, that live stream goes live the minute we begin and ends uh, the minute we end, which is right now. Uh, <laughs> you can't watch it <laughs> if you're a club member the reason we do that is we want to encourage people to join the club because you can continue to watch before and after all the shows so get to twit.tv slash club twit and join uh, you can also subs- download a show from twit.tv all of our public shows are on the website you can also subscribe in your favorite podcast client there's even a YouTube channel dedicated to twit that's got all of the uh, all of the video episodes as well great way to share a clip if you want to do that and i think Corey said a few things people might want to share with others uh we do thank you for watching uh a reminder to take the survey it's not over yet but it will be soon last chance to let us know what you think we want every uh, people who watch every show including this show to respond so that we get a good idea of who the total audience is both for our own internal use to decide what kind of programming to do and so forth, but also for advertising. We, it, you know, we don't spy on you. This is the one way we could kind of tell advertisers a little bit about our demographics, not you specifically, just in general. The surveys at the website, twit.tv slash survey 24. And oh, by the way, if you know a company that would like to advertise on Twit, or perhaps your company would like to advertise on Twit, just remember, you can always email us. We'd love to hear from you. Advertise at Twit. TV. I'm Leo Laporte. Thanks to our producer and board op today, Benito Gonzalez. Great job booking this show, Benito. Nice, nice job. Wow. Thanks to our studio manager, Jammer B, our official lock picker, uh, Burke McQuinn. By the way, Burke, here's a little irony on this lock pick tool you got me. I can't figure out how to open it. (laughs) I really, I can't. I literally can't. I'm, I guess I, I probably shouldn't have a lockpick. You can't open the lockpick. Uh, <laughs> see you all next time. Another twit is in the can. Take care. Amazing.